still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and boy, that sounded bad, and there's a lot of noise in the background, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive through right here on this day. It's in the fall still. I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and here he is to cause all sorts of trouble, Mr. Jim Cornette. I love to complain about the snow and the gloomer and the rainer. I love to complain about the dreary day and the sky so gray and the chiller in the air makes my dick contract. And I love to, I love to complain. Yeah, it's a day. It's another day. Another day in the life. The weather has gone from almost miserable to more miserable. How about that for you? How about them apples? Am I going to have to carry this whole thing again today? Oh, not the whole thing. Just about not the whole two thing. Two-thirds of the of thing. Two yeah. thirds. All right, I'll take 66%. 0.6. No, you know, I... 0.7. I, point, well, it'd be 0.66. Well, we'll figure out pi later on. Um... I got to update you, Brian. You don't even know this. You don't know what happened here at the castle yesterday. I had a busy day, but things were accomplished. It's gone from famine to feast around here. After the banishment, the dismissal of Landon from the property, I had nobody to do the leaves. Well, last week, I'll have you know, I've talked about my contractor. It's doing this big remodel that is creeping ever closer to being finished. And one of his, yeah, I've told you about my contractor, Mr. Wright, right? Well, that's I don't his know name, if you Mr. Have. Wright. Is he new? Mr. Well, no, he's the guy that's been doing this remodel, Frank Wright. He goes by his middle name, Lloyd. Yeah, okay. he's my contractor. Okay, sure. All right. And well, no, and he and it one a couple of his carpenters have been working on the trim and the baseboards and the staining and stuff. The carpenters, Ben and Jerry. And one of them said, I know a guy here that has a a yard service and a, a a landscaping concern going and can easily come over here and say, and I didn't believe it because I've been burned so many times. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. My heart has been scorned before. And I hate to I hate to believe things anymore. But he's nah, I know this guy's gonna come over and son of a bitch, wouldn't you know who won the pony? He came over last week on on Friday. And a personable young fellow and looked at the thing and he gave me a price. And I said, boy, he, 
he might want this job because I'm saying it's a little low. I would have gone higher, but he knows what he's doing. But he said he's got a plan. He's got the equipment. And I'll have you know that yesterday, I thought yesterday was going to be nice and easy. I was only going to have a couple of people. Ben and Jerry, the carpenters, were here early. They don't sing. They just do woodwork. And they were here. But then here comes the big old truck from my tree service that fertilizes the trees here on the castle grounds. And what they did, this big old truck full of goodness for plants and trees, whatever it is that they, they feed these fine products of God to make them sprout good in the spring, they got this truck with this big giant tank and this 500-foot-long hose on this big really thing what do they call those things where you reel it up a big really thing i don't know what they're called the real well they've got they've some some kind of name there's a spool a spool is what it is and he takes this hose to all these different parts of the property and sticks this thing in the ground and just fills the ground full of as i said plant food and goodness for the trees but it's a big truck it's a fairly good sized truck well then I swear to God, I just talked to this guy on Friday, and then my Leaf fellow, Mr. Garrett, Leaf Garrett, he's the one that's that's running the landscaping operation. He calls me, he says, well, I could come over and do your leaves today, because it's not much wind blowing, and it's about to, you know, it's going to, the weather is going to turn. It's going to get rainy and potentially snowy again, because it just snowed two inches over the weekend. I said, well, come on, but the, the truck is out there fertilizing the trees. Well, I'll be a while. Well, it took the guy fertilizing a while, too. So here comes three pickup trucks and two trailers, a trailer with equipment and then a trailer, a, a big dump trailer. They're going to haul these leaves off. And the tree fertilizer can't get out of the driveway until the, the and the leaf People can't get in to get to the leaves until we switch places. So I have to send the leaf crew down the road to the subdivision where they've got room to turn around in such cases and get the tree fertilizer out of the picture and then have the, the leaf crew, old Leaf Garrett and his crew, they come back in. And then they start going to town on the leaves. And they're blowing, and they're artists. I'm telling you, they got these big, fancy-ass leaf blowers that look like the jet packs on Lost in Space. They could be flying around the yard with these things. They just, they wear them. They strap into them. And they're out there making leaf sculptures, just blowing things and just creating these piles. It looks like they've just vacuumed parts of the lawn. And then they're putting them in there. Of course, then the dump trailer fills up after a while. And they got to go to the dump and dump that and come back. But meantime, guess who calls me? Corky the Lumberjack. You've heard, we've talked about him in the past. He's the one that takes all our trees down here in the neighborhood. He's coming to look. I called him two weeks ago, but he's coming that day to look at the dead tree and the property line between me and my neighbor on the left. It's it's now it's near the power lines and we've been trying to treat it for the root rot, but it ain't going to make it. We need to get that taken out. But he's picked now. So I said, park on her side. And because I'm going to take care of it. Anyway. She's she's in her 70s. She's she's living on a very fixed income, Jerry. 
And so I'm, I said, I'll take care of the tree and if she can have the stump ground later on if, if she so desires. But anyway, so then I got to go down and talk to Corky the lumberjack. Well, then it gets dark early these days since because of the daylight savings time. And I'll have you know that Leaf Garrett and his crew, they're working their asses off, but they ran out of daylight and the dump closed on their second load of leaves. So they have come back this morning. It's taken a turn for the worse out there in the environment. And it it's drizzling and rainy and in the 30s, maybe 40 degrees outside. But they are so dedicated to their profession of leaf removal that they are back out working in that inclement weather. You will hear the sounds of leaf blowers and various operational machinery as we do this program, but they're, they're out there now fulfilling their duties as that they have sworn to uphold as leaf removal gentlemen. So I'll have you not say anything bad about them, Brian, when you hear intermittently the sound of their mating call, the sound of the leaf blower. I think you may hear some on my side too. Some of the people are still blowing their leaves at this late date somewhere. Well, there's a lot of blowing going on. Wonder why you and I can't get in on any of it. I got some updates from. No, you need, you need some help? From, from <laughs> now I'm being blown every which way over the past few days. Uh, I've got some updates on some things we've talked about. I know this is your show, but I've got updates on things that we've talked about recently on all of our programs. I can't keep track anymore. They all blend together in my mind. So I just wanted to bring some things up. Uh, I mentioned that uh, about three weeks ago, we talked about the ongoing situation. A truck overturned on the interstate here in Louisville. And about a dozen cows got loose and were seen wandering around the golf course out at Cherokee Park. And they put an LMPD task force on this thing. And within like three days, they had rounded up 10 of 11 of these cows. And I mentioned that there was, it was news for all week that week because they had put a task force on it. I mentioned they've got a, a task force from the Louisville Metro Police Department searching for these fucking fugitive cows, these goddamn escapees from the, from the truck. And there is now, they still, they have seen the last remaining cow that's on the loose. They still have not apprehended it, but it has been seen again. It's still on the loose. It's been three weeks, and the goddamn combined efforts of the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department and apparently whatever livestock concern was taking these poor bossies to market can't catch this one fucking cow. And we think we're going to win a war on fucking terrorism or any other kind of thing. They can't catch a cow, Brian, in the city limits of Louisville. I mean, they could if they wanted to, but I'm sure they don't want to go balls out and just <laughs> destroy this fucking thing. They don't want to go balls deep in the... What are, you, what are, you, are they going to nuke it? Going to drop a goddamn depth charge or from a helicopter or whatever. Is your issue no, that they, they can't are. find it or they can't capture it? No, they, they, 
it's seen intermittently, but nobody has apparently has kept a good close eye on it 24 hours a day or been able to go and just take Bossy and lead Bossy back to wherever Bossy needs to go. It's just a cow wandering around. You'd think they could button this shit up a little quicker. I don't know. But now, Louisville's not known for good policing the last few years. Well, so I don't they, know. <laughs> they, they are known for good fucking cattle management. It's so one thing we do, right? We got the livestock show. We got fucking horse farms. We got the goddamn, you know, the, the, the animal husbandry in Kentucky is still. And anyway, we'll talk later on about that. But the, the police here have had no, other matters. Okay. They've had, well, we might talk a little bit of it. You don't know yet. Um, oh, no. The police have had other matters going on. This was, I've been watching a lot of local news here the past day or two, waiting on my leaves to be hauled off. There was a story on the evening news last night. There is a, and I'll tell you exactly where this is. There is a, uh, right on Interstate 65, right when you're coming into the city limits of Louisville on the way from like Nashville, you're coming north. It's like 12 miles maybe from downtown Louisville. It's a busy interstate exit just before, right before you come into Jefferson County. And there's a quality in there, and they showed it on the on the news. They had the news reporter out in the parking lot, right, right in front of it, and and there is right next door to the Hampton Inn. I mean, this is a it's not like it's in, you know, fucking Wartburg somewhere out in the middle of nowhere or in the middle of a crack neighborhood. This is just this, and it's a populated area for suburban Louisville. At the quality inn, the police were called to do a welfare check. And when they got to the hallway in the second floor, they said, okay, this is going to be a criminal investigation because they knocked on the door. They already smelled something. And they knocked on the door and discovered that a apparently 45-year-old white woman, and by the looks of her on the picture, that's all I can say. They said she was 45. She's a Caucasian lady. Don't know anything more about her background. Was living in the hotel room at the Quality Inn for nigh on to a week with a dead fucking body. A dead man was in the... It was At least it was a two-bed. It was a fucking double room. So the corpse had its own bed. Dead guy laying there, wrapped up in a sheet, and she was lighting candles to mask the smell because she wasn't exactly sure what she should do in this given situation she had found herself in. And they took her to jail. And they took apparently what was left of the... They said there was a strong odor of death and the corpse was in advanced stages of decomposition. So those candles from fucking Bed Bath and Beyond, I'm apparently we're not doing a trick. What do you think, Brian? Think about what? Would you stay? Well, I'm just. How long would you stay? And they they said now there was no evidence of like he wasn't stabbed or shot. He maybe expired through undetermined means, possibly of his own doing or natural causes. We don't have any idea. But how long would you stay before you said, well, I, I'm either going to leave this motherfucker here and just move on down the road, or I'm going to let somebody know that we're in need of some fucking city services. What, 48 hours max, right? Max. Max. 
But in what could possibly be a related incident, the Louisville Public Health Department has been closed. Do you know why? Unsanitary conditions. <laughs> they closed the public health department because they had some fucking incident and pipes burst and flooded the place. And they don't know what exactly happened, and they've had to close the building. It's unsanitary to be in the Louisville Public Health Department at this current point in time. Let's see. The cow's on the loose. Yeah, the woman with the... Oh, and I saw a commercial while I was watching the news for one of these TV offers, right? And I'll have you know, Brian, of whatever it was they were selling, they made a point of mentioning that you can get a second one by paying an additional fee. That's called buying another one. Of course you can. It's called buying another one. Of course you can. You just pay an additional fee for another item and you can get pretty much anything you want. We don't resort to sales tactics like that on, the, on our programs. We tell people, when they're getting a deal, we tell them. And when, when they're getting it up the old Hershey Highway, we tell them that too. Hey, speaking of deals and salesmen, what do you think of your old friend Mattress Mac? $75 million bet on the Astros. Biggest oh, gambling yes. win ever. Officially. Uh, and we've talked about him on the show before. Jim McInvale, he, owned, he owns gallery furniture 40 years ago or more he was you know still a big furniture dealer in houston and longtime sponsor of houston wrestling and paul bosch's television program and used to come down to the coliseum and shoot spots there and everything but now i guess gallery furniture is the biggest goddamn furniture store in the world and he bet whatever he bet he won 75 million dollars and i saw him there was a video of him from one of the casinos with a wheelbarrow taking like $10 million in cash onto his plane <laughs> to fly back to Houston. I didn't see that. And yes, and it was like, boy, this $10 million sure is heavy. Glad we brought the wheelbarrow and his money wrapped up in goddamn... I hope that the, the, the Sky Police didn't pull him over on the way back to Houston and say, can, can we search your plane? Just uh, just sit over there on the uh, on the cloud, and we'll be uh, we'll be poking around for a minute. He has to be the most popular man in Houston, wouldn't you say? I I, I think at this point he's got to be. Well, maybe he could then if he gives about twenty million of that to the poor and the unfortunate and the misfortunate and the disenfranchised and disaffected and etc. Maybe he'll even get more popular. But right now, or he could lower the price on his goddamn couches. He could do that now. See, this could backfire. Mattress Mac, give me a mattress. You just won $75 million. How did uh, furniture sellers and stores do typically as wrestling advertisers in the territory days? Well, you know, the thing is, those door-to-door -door furniture sellers, they had it tough. <laughs> okay, okay. Just, just alone, if you had that fucking lazy boy line, you had to. You had to get on steroids to be a door-to-door -door <laughs> lazy boy salesman. <laughs> no, actually, um, again, in the territory days, because the viewers were multi-generational, it was kids and teenagers and the parents, and everybody's got a story from the territory days. My grandmother used to 
never miss a show and hate the heel, blah, blah, blah. So it was stuff that was mainstream, you know, products that everybody would want and furniture stores get did great and appliance stores and car, especially the buy here, pay here, you know, used car lots with the, the wacky, you know, uh, mascot that did their commercials anyway. It was Madman Mac or, you know, Madman Mac was our Louisville 1960s and 70s appliance salesman. I want to give them away, but my wife won't let me. And I know there's a Madman Munce out in California that started the whole thing, was a car salesman or whatever in the 50s. But also, well, for example, here in Louisville, uh, there was a chain called Winter Furniture. And I think they had like three or four stores around town at the time. I think I just saw maybe the last one after 70 years or whatever has gone out of business because it was a family deal. But they started when uh, Jarrett moved his wrestling program from WDRB here in Louisville, which was the independent station in those days. It's now the Fox affiliate, but it was the, you know, number four station in the market in 1978. And they got a chance to move over to Wave TV Channel 3, which is the NBC affiliate, a uh, ton stronger signal. I think the, uh, yeah, Wave was the first station to go on the air in Louisville. Anyway, so big upgrade. And Wave also had a better sales staff at the time to start selling commercials and sponsorships and whatever. So one of the, People that start sponsoring the wrestling program is Winter Furniture. And they had a, a location down south of town on Dixie Highway, was South Louisville, perfect wrestling fan area, blue-collar area. And so they said, well, we want to do a personal appearance. So it was on a weekend, and and in those days, the guys, the only the only personal appearances they did was if, if you went to the radio station in Memphis. Uh, or, you know, went to the local radio station. If you were at a spot show that afternoon, when you came into town, they, you know, you didn't get to meet, uh, you know, the wrestlers all that often. Right. So, but, and also, cause on the weekends when the store wanted to do it, the guys are at the other end of the territory, but they broke handsome Jimmy Valiant loose. I think, cause he still lived in Indianapolis at the time and he'd be going through on the way home to just come and sign autographs for what was, you know, two hours at the sponsor's location. Uh, they're big supporters of the TV program. They didn't think it was going to be any big deal. God damn, a, a, literally a thousand people showed up. It had the, the, thank God it didn't rain that day. And I went to take pictures, but there was literally a line there. There's not any blocks per se, like city blocks in that area of Dixie highway, but there was a line from the furniture store down past three or four businesses, you know, next door in their parking lots and et cetera. And he signed autographs and hugged girls and kissed babies for like three and a half or four hours. And they were so thrilled that the next year, they're six months later, whatever they did it again with Bill Dundee. And the same thing happened. Only there was a lot more girls came to see Dundee and a lot less guys like came to see handsome. But it was it was of families. You'd say old people, you know, grandma would come in. Oh, you're so cute, superstar. And so, yeah, you know, furniture stores, car lots, appliance stores, um, the you know, rental places. Uh, Smoky Mountain had several rent-to-own establishments where you know you rent your furniture, rent your appliances, or whatever. 
and pawn shops, check cashing places when they came into vogue. But, you know, just stuff that the whole family would fucking need. And especially since in those days, a lot more of these businesses were locally owned and family owned and operated rather than chains that had to go out of town to get their corporate, you know, clearance on spending advertising money. Because then the people in corporate in a different town may not know that so-and-so is the hottest wrestler in Nashville, Tennessee. And why would we spend this much money to, hey, who's he, who, who is this guy, right? They don't know he's all over fucking TV because they're from Cleveland or wherever. But that was what it, TV stations would go for sponsors like that. And, the, you know, the wrestling programs were traditionally, you know, usually if, if the TV station wanted to try and wanted to sell it, the wrestling programs were traditionally sold out for the station. Then you just had lazy stations that didn't have a sales force that wanted to go out and try to sell anything. but you know, the local news and the primetime network schedule. Like if you were someone who worked in advertising instead of in professional wrestling, you had to look at it from that perspective, but you had your knowledge. What businesses do you think professional wrestling could be most effective for in terms of them sponsoring the wrestling show? Well, my God, you know, any of them, for example, whether it's a store we in OVW we had the satellite store here in, that sold you know satellite TV equipment when that was a thing twenty something years ago. Uh, in Knoxville we had Mrs. Winter's Chicken. Who uh, okay? What's your audience for Mrs. Winter's Chicken in East Tennessee? Everybody. There's you can't find any single person of any gender or any race or any age that doesn't eat fried chicken. And the thing and the car lots. You know, not only if you got creative, right, not only could the sponsor buy commercials on the TV station, on the TV program, but also you can have the personal appearances, but also you've got a, a television program unlike any other program on any station in the market the stars of the program not only appear every week or every two weeks or every month in the town, and, and, and they draw thousands of people when they do. So remember the, the the car tournament thing that used to be a big deal, especially in the South, and they did it in Atlanta, they did it in Continental, Southeastern, uh, because a lot of the car dealers love to have their brand new whatever year Lincoln Continental sitting on the floor of the St. Petersburg Bayfront Center or in the Omni in Atlanta while all those thousands of people come to the wrestling matches and look and, you know, drool over that car that's going to be won by Freddie Blassie or whoever the fuck. Jared did one, believe it or not, with a local downtown department store when they first opened up Louisville Downtown Louisville in the early 70s was dead as far as, you know, it was the businesses were starting to close up. And, the you know, we've talked about the theaters, all the grand downtown theaters had become B-movie or porn or whatever. But when Jarrett started having the matches on Tuesday nights and people coming down, all of a sudden, 
outside of business hours, nine to five, and on weekends, somebody's coming down downtown again. There's three or four or 5,000 people coming to Louisville Gardens on Tuesday nights. They're going to eat at the Blue Boar Cafeteria, and they're going to shop on what's left of 4th Street at that point. And Jared did a co-promotion where they gave away a mink coat from, oh, it was, I think it was Gus Meyer's department store. And they did this tournament with the matches where every week people advanced and Gus Meyer not only donated a mink coat, but gave them some kind of fucking money to to do this. And then the, I wasn't there then, this is like 1971, but the the wrestler surrogate, whoever picked the deal, the woman won the fucking mink coat. But they got tons of advertising at it. You could do shit like that because there at that time, there's four or five thousand people, but you know, half of them may be men, half of them may be women. And a lot of times it's a married couple attending, and they're the woman's going, Hey, honey, you could get me one of those down at Gus Meyer. Yeah, fuck you. But I mean, now the audience for wrestling is so narrow in terms of mostly male, certain age, you know, that you you have to target that demographic more. But it used to be just anybody in the family that might need something, you could figure out some way to tie in the local wrestling program or local wrestling promotion with a sponsor that was motivated. All right, Jim, well, that's a little bit about furniture sellers or furniture advertisers, whatever you want to call them. Well, and, and and Leaf Garrett, by the way, has just moved uh, underneath the window. I think they're trying to finish this process up. You may hear their jetpacks as they're flying around the window. But uh, speaking of flying, you know what's going to be flying off the shelves this Christmas? That's the brand new Lazy Booking T-shirt that I should remind everybody goes on sale this coming Saturday, November 19th at noon Eastern time at jimcornett.com. Now you can express your opinion no matter where you're at. Uh, wrestling event, family holiday party, go to work, whatever. Lazy booking. That will be on sale. And the I'm a Jim Cornette guy t-shirts are phasing out once this stock is gone. They will not be replenished as we Move toward the newer items, so if you've been on the fence about that, and I'm proud to announce that by the time the people, the cult of Cornette, hears this, another 200 boxes have been handed off to the Feather Bottoms for processing, and we are down, I am down, to the last 150 orders remaining to clear the action figure backlog, and you still have time, if you order now, because I'm going to clear that all out by Thanksgiving, and you have time to order and get yours by Christmas. If we don't run out of the pink and red raw variant, we're on the final 200, and we still have a few more hundred more of the Santa cornies to come down your chimney, all at jimcornet.com. And thank you for your support, as I now have to have surgery for carpal tunnel from signing over 2,000 action figures in the last six weeks. Would you ever have another surgery? Only if it was life extending. Pretty much, I I don't care. Right now, what I look like is what I look like. What I feel like is what I feel like. And I have learned to maneuver around my limitations. So unless it prevented me from having serious ongoing pain or extended my life in some kind of way, they're not going to monkey with me anymore. 
You're not even considering anything for your knees or if anything would happen with your hip? No, not right now. Everything I can work around my limitations right now. If I don't make any sudden moves and I've, I know which, which ways to move and which ways not to, and how much strenuousness to put into any given situation. And I'm not going to fuck anything else up any further. So nobody has to come in and do any goddamn modifications. I'm fine. What do you think people don't understand about the idea that people can go on without an ACL? Because usually you hear now about ACL so much and it's immediately, okay, a reconstructive surgery. You'll be back in six months or a year, whatever it may be, depending on the person and the age. But you've actually had no ACL for a while, right? Well, no, I didn't have either one from 1987 until 2006. But I'm not an athlete, right? I, I, even though I was <laughs> sometimes called upon to do athletic things with varying degrees of success. Uh, but it wasn't like as a manager having to work. You know, most bumps require you to fall down, not, you know, leap or whatever. I wasn't doing leapfrogs and drop kicks. It, it did limit me on kicking. That's why I put more concentration on my punches because it did, you know, but. Um, Athletes have that uh, necessary, you know, need for an ACL in most cases. There's been some freaks in nature that could get Terry Gordy tore both of his. And that's why he dropped that weight when he really lightened up and but was still working at a high level with neither knee having an ACL. It hindered him, but he was so great to begin with. You can get by without it. It's not recommended if you're an athlete. If you're a normal person and you don't do anything stupid and know, you know, how not to jump or land on one leg or whatever, you can be just fine without an ACL. And I still don't have one in my right knee, and it feels better most of the time than the one I had fixed. So that's why I say I'm not, you know, they say doctors practice medicine. I don't want anybody practicing on me. All right, well, <laughs> I want to apologize, everyone, for any noise in the background on you both of our ends. saying and, that. I hear my noise. I don't hear your noise. And maybe some connection issues on one of our ends also. I want to apologize. Oh, now there, now there you go. That's a pointed fuck. I'm having Hotchkiss over to figure this out, whatever your problem is. I sound just fine to me. To you? To me. Well, it's about the rest of the world I'm thinking of. Well, you sound the same way as you always sound. I'm not going to. I'm sorry. I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> actually quantify whether that's good or bad or whatever, but continue on. Let me ask you about a couple of big topics that people have been writing in about the last few days. You and I briefly spoke on the experience about the NWA and whatever is going on with Nick Aldis and the NWA. And I think we have a little bit of a better understanding now because of what just happened. I'm glad you do, because I've read a couple more things and still don't see what the big fucking hoop-de-doo was about, why it got this problematic. Well, one of the things that really seemed to stir up a lot of emotions in people online is the idea that the new NWA World Heavyweight Champion is Tyrus, the former Brodus Clay. Well, yes. Now, see, if that had happened before Aldous gave notice, I said, well, no wonder. I mean, you know, because a rat's deserting a sinking ship when you put your belt on this fucking guy. Right. But that was after that was 
in place of what they were going to do originally, wasn't it? Because they suspended Aldous? And now Corgan's just said, well, somebody, somebody did tweet a clip of Tyrus trying, trying a knee drop off the second turnbuckle or whatever into the, and it's like he jumped down and then slowly crazed. Like we were talking about bad knees. He apparently has some bad knees because he took real good care of them on this fucking knee drop. I mean, I, I don't know what they're issues were but apparently if um if if corgan you know made the statement that well people want to see this guy you know tyrus who's six foot eight and 350 pounds or whatever versus this other guy that's six eight you know people want to see giants yes they want to see andre and hogan or you know any fucking classic big man confrontation happy humphrey wrestled haystacks calhoun one time but it depends on the big men involved as to whether it should be <laughs> for the world title of anybody or a you know a big main event of a major show or whatever. It depends on who the the big giants are, and I don't know that that uh, Tyrus is going to rank right up there with uh, Andre or any of the other great giants in the history of the wrestling industry. The perception, I think, is pretty bad, too, just because you have someone who, I don't think too many people consider a main eventer or a big wrestling star. He's just a guy in wrestling, and they put their world title on it. At least Aldis was doing all he could to be the world champion beyond yeah. the belt. Well, you know, it, it, that was what I guess he was sold on with the NWA resurgence was that it was going to be you know, a throwback to the day of the 10 pounds of gold and the world title is important and carried by a guy that looks like a champion. And and that's what he was doing. And then all of a sudden, oh, here's, you know, the Funkasaurus or whatever he was. And, I mean, he's a guy in wrestling, but only barely does he wrestle for anybody else but the NWA these days. And, I, and somehow he got a, a spot on one of the Fox News. What does he talk about on the Fox News? Is he an expert? In another category, like Wee Willie Davis was an expert in botany and was a, a big uh, floral expert. And was is Tyrus some expert that he is on Fox News and has something to say to so What does he do on that pro? Is he comedy relief? What's what's the position there? I believe he's one of the talking heads on one of their shows. But I think if you're on TV and you're in any way a celebrity or minor celebrity or pseudo celebrity and you express any sort of values that go with some of the fox news hosts they'll just have anyone on so i think it's not a so he's one of them too hi bet well here's an email just to give you an example of what some of the people are sending in this one was sent from miles in michigan the corny drive through gmail.com jim and brian i'm sure you guys have had many emails on this already but i specifically wanted to point out that aldis was upset regarding booking decisions like like making a gag the gimp match what and a social distancing match where the competitors could not touch. Well, Sa now, wait a minute, but they did that like in garbage championship wrestling, you know, while by, during the first part of the pandemic. Did there some outlaw show somewhere where they were having a fake match where they weren't allowed to touch each other, so they took bumps from six feet away? But they, did, they didn't actually do that in the NWA, did they? I'm looking at, well, apparently Gags the Gimp is a tag team 
Is that a wrestler? Is there a wrestler named Gags the Gimp? I don't know. I know it says like one of the fucking Bowery boys. Hunts Hall, Leo Gorsi, and Gags the Gimp. I no, Gags the Gimp is apparently a wrestler. I don't. I okay. Maybe this is the stuff that Aldous was stopping from seeing the light of day. And let me continue on. Also, Tyrus just won the NWA championship. Tyrus, a Fox News guest with sexual harassment allegations, the former dancing. Wait, wait, what? Oh, whoa! Do we bury the lead there? So I don't. I, it's not been my year to watch this guy. He has sexual. Look at him. He was the original top dollar. Of the WWE, the Funkasaurus, a big fat bliffet. He's got sexual harassment allegations. According to Wikipedia, in 2019, un-PC co-host Britt McHenry accused Murdoch of sexual harassment after he allegedly sent a series of lewd text messages. According to Fox News, the matter was investigated and resolved. <laughs> However, on December 10th, 2019, McHenry filed a sexual harassment suit against Fox News and Murdoch. Now, wait a minute. Murdoch is Tyrus's real name. That is correct. Okay. Subsequently, McHenry claimed that she lost the phone containing text messages she says are central to her claims. In July 2021, she voluntarily dismissed the lawsuit and left the Fox network, apparently as part of a legal settlement. Lost the phone. Seems like you'd keep an eye on something like that. Well, so we don't know about anything about this. I'll continue on with this email. The former dancing Funkasaurus in the WWE named Brodus Clay and a fat, horrible wrestler, <laughs> Jesus Christ, was Billy's pick to carry on the legacy of funk, race, flair. I haven't watched since Murdoch won the title, and I'm so glad I haven't. So there is something from Miles that, well, in Michigan. Wait a minute, funk, the... the the legacy of funk was carried on by the Funkasaurus. Oh, God. That's why I said when, when I found out Vince McMahon wanted to name Too Cold Scorpio Flash Funk, I said, I, I said is he going to be related to Dorian Terry? Does he come from the funk family? How about at WCW that Alan Funk? You know, I'm thinking that may have been his actual name. I can't remember. Still. Why would they? Why would you just pick that if it wasn't your name and and people go with it? I don't know. They also had what was that? The guy named Kiwi or Kiwi? Kiwi, Kiwi, <laughs> Kiwi. I never. <laughs> what what was happening with that? But we need to do the WCW roster one of these days. Oh boy! <laughs> Jesus Christ! And when they bought the company, they kept the half they should have got rid of and and never hired the half they should have got. But but back to Funkasaurus. That's right. And uh, Aldous and I, the more and more that I hear, though, it sounds like it. Nick Aldous finally said, "Jesus Christ!" As I said, when what am I doing with my life? Well, yeah. Well, the first taping that I went to, you know, Billy was. He was excited and energetic and wanting to let the guys do their thing, and he didn't seem like he was interfering or forcing creative on anything or whatever. He just, you know, he wanted guys to have more of a an opportunity to go out in a studio setting, live TV, live to tape, and do their thing without cussing. But if he's been trying to 
book this thing, one can imagine social distancing, gags the gimp, whatever. You know, maybe he just doesn't have an, an eye for it, for actually putting the shit on paper. The problem is, is the problem is, is a lot of people around wrestling that don't have the eye for putting it on paper, and they truly believe they do. Yes, because anybody can put anything on paper. Harley Quinn puts something on paper every morning. That doesn't mean I want to fucking broadcast it on television. Well, let's talk about something the WWE is trying to put on paper. Word has gotten out that an offer apparently has been made to Stone Cold Steve Austin. WWE is interested in having him come back again for another match. I guess they don't want his last match to be with Vince. But another match potentially at WrestleMania. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, my God, if they can get, because remember, they're still talking about, or there's um, rumors, innuendo, whatever, about The Rock being at WrestleMania in Hollywood. And they've long been wanting to put together The Rock versus Roman Reigns. And so if you had The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, one at one night of WrestleMania, one at the next night of WrestleMania. Well, you then just fill the rest of the fucking card in. You're you're sold out. So Austin looked great. It was you know Vince that bless him was you know physically falling apart, and Austin doesn't have to have the kind of match that you shouldn't have when you're. 50-something years old or whatever. He doesn't have to have Ric Flair's match that he shouldn't have had when he's 73 years old. He doesn't have to go upside down in the turnbuckles to be Steve Austin. Um, and against a another guy, especially a younger guy that can, you know, take a majority of the big bumps and through strength of personality and overness, my God, it would probably be one of the highlights of the program. And I don't see, I didn't see anything about Austin in the last one that makes me think that if he didn't embarrass himself against a 70-something-year-old billionaire, he's not going to embarrass himself against one of the boys. So, yes, I'm, and again, you know, it, it, Dick the Bruiser could be Dick the Bruiser when he was 50. And then, you know, there, there's guys that, because of their style or what you expect of them, they can't go back and and recreate the magic because time has, you know, taken away what made them special. But with a guy like Austin, who was not about flying and acrobatic moves, and, you know, he his matches were very athletic and, and very physical, but he doesn't need to go 30 minutes and he doesn't need to go through any furniture. He just needs to be Steve Austin and do something with somebody else that people care about. So yeah, I'd be all in favor of that. Owens was the perfect guy for him last year. Cause that was like the best thing I think I've seen with Owens actually. And he sold for everything with Austin perfectly facially. Yeah. And of course in the ring, but you need a guy who can move a lot for Steve Austin. With that said, when you think about a potential opponent, if he says, yes, I'm in, Give me all of these millions of dollars. I'll do it. Do you think, okay, I want to get, I mean, last year they tried to get Austin Theory in the mix with some things that didn't really do anything for him. But do you think, let me get someone young over? Do you think, let me put Austin in there with a legend like a John Cena, like a CM Punk, Cody Rhodes? Where do you put Steve Austin if you have him? 
Well, you you don't want a legends match because then nobody wants the any of the other guys that you mentioned necessarily to lose either. Nobody wants to see Austin lose. You got to put him against somebody younger. You can't put him against somebody that you want to, you know, build as a main event attraction because you got to beat him, but you want somebody in a position to be elevated by the interaction. And I don't I think it might be stretching to say some something like Austin Theory because I think, you know, he's got all the time in the world to do something else later on. And we'll talk about that maybe later in the program. Now they're after they've torn him all the way down, now they're saying, okay, now we'll restart him the way we want to. They gotta they gotta undo everything first before they can start anything. I mean, you know, like like you said with Owens, it was perfect because he's a guy that can move, he can talk, more importantly. And, you know, whether he wins or loses is immaterial to his career, but he was, you know, in a better place because of the interaction with Austin. I think that's the kind of guy you got to, you don't want Austin against another legend who's going to do the job. That's why when they say, oh, everybody wants to see Sting versus Undertaker. Well, how would you have felt whenever the one of the guys lost? Yeah. So you wouldn't want to do, let's say, an Austin versus Roman Reigns, but you would potentially want to do an Austin versus Sami Zayn. Oh, God, there you go. Well, except, no, goddamn, normally I would have said, but now Sami's the hottest baby face in the world. And I don't think you'd, you wouldn't want to do that. But Sami Zayn, the little weaselly heel that can work his ass off and take a bunch of bumps, that would have been great. But now that Sami is the most popular guy on the roster, you wouldn't want to put him with Steve Austin because that'd be counterproductive. They want to see Austin kick the ass of somebody that's a big mouth and deserves it. And they and we've passed the point where Austin putting somebody over would make them. That's when the guy is winding up his active career, not 20 years after he's wound up his active career. Now they want to cut the, if you see Steve Austin, you want to see him win. And if he loses, then it becomes obvious that they told him to lose. And then that just hurts everybody's feelings. Do you feel the same way about the rock in terms of how you use him at WrestleMania? Well, see, this is a different case. The rock. Obviously he doesn't need to be any more over. And obviously he doesn't need to have another match. And obviously. If he does have an, a, another match, it's because he wants to and the one he specifically wants to have. And it, that's with Roman Reigns. And because even though Reigns is now kind of a part-time guy, you could still make Roman Reigns even bigger if he beat The Rock. And because it's a family connection, I think that's what they would probably do. So, and that could be a mega-drawing match. And again, even if people wanted to see The Rock win, they would understand that he didn't because also, and maybe it's not even for the fucking title. Maybe it's a personal issue where they swerve the people and well, it's non-title. That way they think Rock will win, but he still puts Roman over. That could happen. But he, Rock says, I don't want the title. I can't have the championship. I'm a movie star. But this one thing to settle who is the head of the table. The the last luau, right? 
And you the know, last in case, <laughs> I like that. Well, Watts was the last stampede. I'm trying to go <laughs> Polynesian here. It's the last luau one time. It, you know, that that's a different, but then if you brought the rock back against anybody else, but his cousin, Roman Reigns, the rocks got a fucking win because then it's just see the rock. It just depends with either case, Austin or the rock. Do you have any consideration at all about having them in a tag team match? Or does that defeat the purpose? Ooh, it Not together necessarily, but... Well, no, I, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Boy, that would be a fucking tag team. Austin um, and The Rock versus The New Day. Or versus Chad and Otis. Um, no, it, it, in certain cases, again... You can have the legend as a special partner in a tag team match, blah, blah, blah. But no, they're so big, two biggest stars of all time. You can't put them in a tag team match. I think the people want to see the spotlight on them. All right. Well, the spotlight is on us and the spotlight is on you. And if there's a spotlight on your ear and you want to hear some good music, of course, Jim, we could tell everyone a wonderful source for the best earbuds out there. Well, it's not all just the best earbud. You're just you're short selling them now, young Brian. They're premium, premium earbuds. Even even better than best. They're premium. And you know what? Between now and Christmas, you're probably going to be confused. You're going to be wandering around lost. You're going to go to the mall and you're going to be knocked down by hordes of charging reindeer and children looking for their presents early. You're going to have to fight all the crowds, the parking blah 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 right now shop early skip the stress and snag some of the best deals of the holiday season with the premium audio products from raycon you can not only stock stuffings or stocks stuff stockings you can stock stuffings or stock stuff stockings. stockings yeah well you know a lot of stores stock, stock stuffing at this time of the year they like to have the stuffing next to the turkey but you could also stuff stockings with these things. And actually, there's plenty of room. You can get a bunch of pairs because you can get it, especially with, like, for example, my Aunt Lola, she had huge feet. Well, actually, just one of them. One of them was a size five. The other was a size nine. So nine. she'd always, huh? Nine? Five and nine? Five and nine. Yeah, when she stood there, it kind of looked like a sundial. But the thing is, is that she would put up her left stocking over the chimney with care in the holidays because that was the size nine and she could fit more presents in there. Anyway, if you go for the Raycons as stocking stuffers, the wireless earbuds, the headphones, the speakers offer premium sound and useful features, comfortable fit, up to 54 hours of battery life. These things, pretty soon they're going to last forever. And as the person giving the gift, in other words, you are going to purchase these things and then you're going to turn around and give them to friends and loved ones and family members, people that you care about. You're going to love that they start at half the price of the other premium audio brands. So if it's mother, father, co-worker, whoever is in your social circle, knock the list out all at once, get 30% off at the same time by shopping for Raycon's holiday bundles. You just go to Ray buyraycon.com. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com, and check out everything they've got on that site. 
premium audio, the likes of which you'll never hear again. Premium audio, the likes of which you don't hear when you listen to this program and Leaf Garrett is blowing the leaves on the other side of the wall. But everybody needs a pair of these things in their ears. And boy, if it for somebody you don't like, buy them a pair, sneak and turn the volume up way loud, and then watch when they fry their brains out when they're trying to listen to Inagata DeVita turned up to 11. And you know what you don't need while, while I'm at it, Brian Last? You don't need those little white stems sticking out of your ears. It makes you look like an idiot and tells everybody that you're ignoring them. No, the Raycons are sleek and stylish, and they come in a range of colors. So you can, you know, somebody just walked up to me on the street the other week and said, hey, sir, your blue eardrum has fallen out of your right ear. And I was able to stick it right back in there because they'll hardly ever come out. But unfortunately, I didn't use the approved glue. Nevertheless, right now, if you go to buyraycon.com slash JCE, then you can get 20% off site-wide. That's 20% off any Raycon product. That almost never happens, so don't miss your chance. Or you can save even bigger and get 30% off the Raycon exclusive holiday bundles. So buyraycon.com slash JCE, 20% off anything site-wide or 30% off the exclusive holiday bundle so you can get a bunch of these bad boys and just spread them around everywhere. And then set them all on the same channel so everybody will have to listen to the same thing and make it our program. What do you think, Brian? If everybody bought the Raycons for everybody they know and preset the Raycons before they gave them as gifts to only receive our program, what do you think would happen? I don't know. I mean, we, I assume we'll pick up some new people, annoy some people. It's amazing that as small as these things are, where is the little tiny tape recorder that holds all these songs and shows and music in these little earbuds? In the cloud. So you're sticking a cloud in your ear. In terms of comfort, yes. Well, son of a gun. So that's what Tony Khan has done. His head's full of clouds, too. He's listening <laughs> to the Raycons. All right, some good Tony Khan slander here at the end of the spot. By Raycon. That's right, Jim, Raycon. And perhaps if you're a listener listening very closely, <laughs> you may notice that this is a little bit of a Frankenstein edition of the show. Uh, what you day know what is you it? Just did. You just said, that's right, Jim, to something that I said nearly 24 hours ago. That's right. And and it's like that that angle that Kevin Sullivan and Blackjack Mulligan did in Orlando where they finished a match with a big double count out and double juice. They're bleeding in Orlando at the Eddie Graham Sports Stadium and they fight out the back door and into the goddamn giant pitch black mud field that used to be back behind the building and disappeared amongst the the darkness. And that was the end of the show. And the next week, they ring the bell for the first match, get the first match going, whoever's wrestling, and suddenly, here comes Mulligan and Kevin, dressed the same way that they were <laughs> the previous week, and still covered in blood and mud, fighting in the fucking front door. And the people just went out of their minds. But anyway, we, yes, a Frankenstein edition. We had audio issues, and then we started getting interruptions on both of our parts for a variety of things that someday will be revealed. And 
So what you told you left me with a tip on how to improve my audio quality out here. You said go to the the motor and the routum and and unplug them and plug them back in 30 seconds later. And when I did that, when I crawled around in the goddamn floor and and perpetrated that deed, my alleged internet speeds from Spectrum that I'm pay I'm paying for the one gig, but I don't even really get 500 megs. I'm paying for twice as much as I get. We've told this story before, and that's the only way I could get it to goddamn work at all because these people don't know how to work their own equipment. Well, I was only getting about 200 of the MIGs that I'm supposed to be getting. I'm actually supposed to be getting 1,000 of them, but I only get 500 normally, but now I was only getting 200 and something. But when I unplugged the, the motor and the routum, and I unplug and I plugged them back in. Then suddenly I got four hundred eighty something migs, and now it's all right as rain. Apparently, you haven't stopped me once. What, what, what the? Well, how is this progress? Let me ask you a question, Brian. Last, how ahead. is this progress? Oh, this I is not progress. On your end, it's no progress. No, no. I do. I still sound crummy. No, you sound better now. Well, the, well, all right. The, but the fucking point of the matter is. I don't have to walk into my kitchen every couple of weeks and unplug the refrigerator and plug it back in to get it to work right. And we've had refrigerators for almost 100 years. Well, more than that in some locations. Widely available for 100 years. You know they have smart refrigerators now. Yeah, well, they don't even have smart goddamn internet because this shit's the furthest thing from smart. Nobody's smart enough to figure it out. But the point is, is it's not progress when we have shit that doesn't work as well as the shit that we've had around for 100 years. It's not progress, it's degress. And I, I know I digress about the degress, but still we're digressing. It's very depressing how we're digressing as a society. The de-evolution of society. We are we all are Devo. Devo. D-E-V-O. All right. So now we're still we're doing this program. Yes, we are. And I am at I'm at your beck and call. You know, do you love also? There's the amusing antidote, and there's there's also the I'm at your beck and call. People say B E C K O N C A L L beckon call. No, they don't. Do they really? Oh, I swear to God, I swear to God, I've seen it written down. I've seen people. Write it. I've seen people tweet it. It's Beck and call, two separate things. I am at your Beck and call. So if you whether you want to call me or you want to Beck me, either one, do it now. You know which one we get sometimes uh, in the corny drive through emails, and it makes me laugh every time? A muck. A-M-U-C-K. Yeah. A muck. <laughs> it's being among the mud. A muck. Well, Jim, of course, there's plenty of wrestling amongst the mud <laughs> happening this week. And I understand you watched some of Raw. How much of Raw did you actually watch? Well, no, because, uh, hey, anybody wants to go and read the review of what was on it, you can see why it, it actually, I couldn't even bear the thought of trying to dissect what was wrong with it, except everybody was talking about, oh, your boy Theory, Austin Theory, that they're, now they're, they're going to, 
They're going to make him serious. He's turned over a new leaf. He's changed his ways. He's gotten mad. He's not a kid anymore. And I, I know that obviously they didn't want to continue on the path that they were on with Austin Theory under the Vince McMahon regime. Because it, at that point, you know, Vince was personally appearing on camera with him doing the vignettes. You could tell that he had decided he was going to do something with their, we're going to make a new star, pal. You can feel that vibe, right? But how they were doing it again, like with whatever Vince was doing with poor LA Knight and blah, blah, blah. But you could tell he wanted to do something. And he got the uh, theory, got the money in the bank briefcase and et cetera. But then when, as soon as Vince was gone, you could also tell that they didn't want to at least continue on. And as I said, in the path that Vince was taking, but it seemed like for a while there, they were just beating a piss out of when, when he was with Vince, he was being portrayed as somewhat of a doofus. Right, Brian, you you would still agree with that. He's with the with the old man's grumbling about the egg, and he uh, yes, sir. You know, he still he was in the shadow of Vince, and he was somewhat being a, a doofus kid. But the doofus can get heat if he if he's good and he wins a lot, right? <laughs> and that the, even a doofus can get heat under those circumstances. But that's not what was happening after Vince was gone. Now they're beating him like a fucking government mule and they obviously didn't want him to be in the title picture to cash in the money in the bank briefcase but there there's the sticky wicket he had it so they're trying to figure out a way to get that off of him and i'm sure somebody pitched the well let's let he had too much too quick so let's let him go on a losing streak and be foiled or whatever and then you know, we'll we'll extricate him out of the money of the bank thing and you know, not put him in a title picture, but then he'll he'll get mad and snap. He'll come to his Popeye moment. I've had all I can stands, I can't stands no more. And then he'll say, I'm not a kid anymore, and he'll beat somebody up in a vicious manner. I I'm sure that's what they pitched, and somebody probably like that idea, but there was there was no need for a prolonged period of <laughs> let's just fucking humiliate this guy and beat him every time he comes out of the gate. Oh my god, the starter's gun shot my horse. And then do this because now they've kind of impressed on people for a period of time that well, this guy's just a fucking a doofus that loses. So I don't know why, if they didn't want to, I understand follow through with, you know, what Vince had laid out or whatever that also involved Vince, but couldn't you have done something with a baby face that he ran a, a theory, ran a foul of way back before he started losing all over the place and said or did something smart ass to or whatever the fuck. And then on his big cash in instead of cashing in on a almost a dead body and then the dead body coming back and beating you 
Elaine cash in at what he thought was an appropriate moment, but the baby face that he has previously fucking interacted with does something to get even by costing him the deal. And then he in turn, theory being he, too many pronouns, pal, turns back around and did what he did on Raw Monday night. And I'm not a fucking boy. I'm not going to be treated like this. And goddamn, not only does a heavy angle with that baby face, but comes back in the ring and beats him. You just eliminated a lot of the losses and aimlessness that he wandered around in the middle there. And then you refigure him into the intercontinental title level thing or whatever the fuck may be. I don't think they had to tear him all the way down before they try to repurpose him, but that's what they were doing Monday night is repurposing him where he's tired of being, you know, the first thing is, okay, if we have anybody that's athletic and a good, you know, classic style worker, let's put him in a match with Dolph Ziggler. Cause that'll be the best match we'll have. And Dolph can put him over because Dolph was fucking tremendous. And, but <laughs> Unfortunately, as we mentioned, when he Dolph was guesting on NXT a few months back, whenever, it's so obvious by now at this point that they're bringing in Dr. Ziggler, the, the, the guy with the most experience, the best worker that can still go at a, you know, a, a good level and teach guys shit in the ring. He's nearly flawless. So he's penalized by being the world's greatest fucking job guy but we want to rehab theory so let's have the best match he's going to have is with Dolph Ziggler so let's all of a sudden put him in a match with Dolph Ziggler and he beats Dolph and then he fucking goes and attacks Seth Rollins at the end of the show and lays him out and it was an exciting pull apart theory had animosity he had I mean again everything the guy did on this program was great. His match with Dolph was great. He more than held up his end. The people at one point, the WWE audience that sits in a stupor for most of their matches and reacts to the, you know, South Park dramatic spotlight moments, they were they had a little this is awesome going over a wrestling match. Imagine that. And then the the angle at the end was was great, and theory looked like. That looked like a guy in Crockett Promotions or on Mid-South Wrestling being elevated and told, go out there and get over. And it it wasn't just the blase, bleh, you know, modern slash WWE presentation of an angle. So what he did was great, but, I, you know, and I hope he continues on this this path but you know I, I still don't see what the the need was for all of the shit over the last was it been two or three months where they just kind of slapped him around and said well fuck you what do you think well the whole thing has been puzzling as we've been talking about as it's been happening it seemed like a punishment if the goal was let's beat him all the way down just so we could rebuild him I'm not really into that, and I don't think it helps anyone in wrestling today to just lose week after week after week and look like a putz, and then all of a sudden he's not a putz? What do you think about... He's unputzed. Because in the past there have been like losing streak gimmicks, and sometimes 
I mean, with Mike Boyette, it wasn't about getting a push at the end. It was just, hey, it's funny he loses every week. But sometimes someone, Horowitz. yeah. But sometimes people think that it is a way to build someone up by having them lose, and hopefully people care. Do you think that's an effective way to get someone over? No. It, again, here's the thing: Barry Horowitz was a great worker and had a unique personality, right? And had and he was a fun guy, right? And and the guys in the locker room liked him. He was never under consideration, nor I, would I think he would say this for being the top guy in a territory or the world champion or the regional, whatever. And so that was a way to use him because he had personality. It was something to do on television, especially the losing streak. Uh, It's been done in similar ways, similar places with the same kind of guy, a guy that could work and, and, you know, you liked and wanted to do something with, but it was entertainment for the, television program not something you sold tickets on and guys that really did it well and it was memorable like Barry Horowitz they are remembered more as I in the vein of a I'm not trying to downgrade Barry Horowitz but he's it was a cult figure type of thing it wasn't like oh yes you know Barry Horowitz's losing streak drew sellout crowds to X arena. It was, Oh yeah. I remember it. It was fun every week. He did somewhere or another, it would slip up and he'd lose. And you remembered it in that way. And that's, and, and you know, that's kind of the intent of it at the start is to do something that people remember that's entertaining with somebody on the card in, in the overall wrestling universe of your territory or your promotion or whatever, that's you've got main event, shit going on selling the tickets in the arenas no a lose a losing streak is never a good idea for a top guy like when sean waltman came in and he became the one two three kid he had different names leading up to that he beat razor ramon and that was the thing that got him going after people who watched raw saw him lose for several weeks again with several different names that's different than a guy who young wrestler talented with vince mcmahon and then all of a sudden he just loses all the time for months. Yeah. Well, it also, again, that's a different dynamic when you introduce somebody that nobody's ever seen or heard of before, right? And that's what it, in the pre-internet days, for the majority of people, they didn't know who Sean Waltman was before he showed up on Raw. I think we all agree that's fair. And yes, he lost, you know, whatever, but then the upset came within a couple of matches, not several months. There was no losing streak like okay we've identified this guy week after week when you see him he's got job written across his face he looked atypical for a push wwf talent he was small he was skinny whatever the fuck but then they established here's who he is and he's had a couple matches and right as you think okay this guy's gonna be the the job guy then he beats razor ramon top guy holy shit that calls attention to the guy. And then he was always presented as an underdog. He didn't go out there and go toe-to-toe with Razor for 15 minutes and then beat him flat. He upset the bigger, stronger, more established, well-known star. That's why they call it an upset instead of a fucking drubbing. And so it's all about context. And the context never works if it's just beat the guy down and then we'll rebuild him after everyone sees him lose to everyone. 
I, it, only in their minds. I mean, they can say that it works. You know, when they... It, it, no, there's no quantification really now anymore of whether a guy is really drawing money until they get to the fucking Cena rock level or whatever. So they can justify it in their minds. Oh yeah, he had that good angle with Rollins and now we're going to give him some wins and he'll be just, maybe he will get over. How over would he have been before we did that other thing? We don't know because we can't go back and undo it. So out of, but I just, I don't see why it was necessary. And that was the review and the thoughts about Raw this week. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> and, and by the way, Raw was in Louisville at the Yum Center. Did we mention that before in the first part of this program that we did yesterday? Forgive me if I chew my food twice. but And I think they drew six or 7,000 people, which was up a couple of thousand from last year. And in the Yum Center... And I know people are going, what the fuck, around the world. Yum Brands, Y-U-M, yum, yum, yum. Yum Brands is the parent company of Kentucky Fried Chicken, of Taco Bell, all of the pizza, all of the shit that uh, Pizza Hut is in there, all the shit that is now owned under the conglomerate that took over Colonel Sanders' hard life's work. And our major new fucking professional 20,000-seat downtown arena is named the KFC Yum Center. But they weren't saying yum, yum. I guess they're happy with this now. That crowd that they had in the Yum Center for Raw Monday night would have barely sold out the Louisville Gardens. And I I hate to say, I mean, I, I understand why people aren't going because I'm watching the TV show. But I hate it because even after the bloom was off the rose of the Attitude Era and, the, you know, the crowd started going down in most places, we still had Louisville OVW promoted not only OVW but wrestling and WWE or F as it was, I think, still at the time in this market. And when they were going to Freedom Hall in two thousand and one or two, they were still doing 15,000 people or more because people knew that a lot of these stars had been citizens of Louisville and and were on TV here and had trained here and blah, blah, blah. And now it's just another place they can go and draw five or 6,000 people for a national television program. But Maybe I know one reason why they didn't have a better crowd. Guess who did local news on WDRB for the live event on the uh, 5 o'clock news saying, come on down to the wrestling? Uh, Ricochet. Johnny Sameface. Oh, really? Johnny Sameface was out there dressed like a mope. He could have been convicted of mopery. And he was the same height as the female anchor, Candace Clift, in heels. I mean, she was in heels, not Johnny. And he's a professional wrestler, Johnny. He's like, oh, if you haven't ever been to one of these things, come on out. You'll be amazed. Instead of, hey, everybody knows Louisville has a rich wrestling tradition. My God, John Cena lived and trained here, and so did Brock Lesnar and blah, 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 and all of our biggest stars were so excited to come back. 
nothing personalized, just the same line of drivel they tell him to say everywhere. And he looks like a professional wrestler, like I look like a fucking professional mime. So maybe they ought to send some of the fucking impressive-looking son-of-a-bitches. They Oh, I forgot. They're all in the movie business now, all their impressive-looking son-of-a-bitches. It does say something about who they think can do local media, if that's who they're sending. In terms of just appearance-wise, you're sending a WWE superstar, and Gargano's smaller than my kids. And he dresses like some kid in school, maybe a private school. He was he was natally attired, but I'm not talking about a suit or anything, just the fucking standard what the hip kids wear. He looked like he, you know, wandered in off of a fucking fundraiser out in the parking lot. What kind of fundraiser? But anyway, huh? <laughs> what kind of fundraiser? <laughs> fucking make a wish. Make this kid a wrestler. Contribute now. Maybe maybe they thought they were still doing spots for OVW, and here's a kid in wrestling school coming in to... Uh, but, you know, we had other controversy in the world of the WWE this past week at one of their live events. Did you hear about what happened, the incident in Peoria? I heard about an incident at a house show. I didn't know it was now called the incident in Peoria. Was, well, it's was it that the big there, well, the Peoria Civic Center is aware of it. They're calling it an incident. The incident. Apparently, here's what happened. This has now made news on, I don't know how many wrestling news sites, and the arena in question has issued an official statement on this matter. And I'm, I'm fucking dying. I'm fucking dying. Apparently, Karrion Cross is wrestling Drew McIntyre in Peoria at the Civic Center, which, by the way, was the site in 1989 of the rematch between Ric Flair and Bobby Eaton. But anyway, for the NWA world title. But anyway, Karrion Cross is wrestling Drew McIntyre. And, of course, Scarlett is at ringside. And they do a spot where the referee's distracted, and Scarlett slaps Drew McIntyre. And apparently some woman stood up and threw, well, let me, let me read this from itrwrestling.com, our friends across the pond at Inside the Ropes. itrwrestling.com says, while the referee's back was turned, I can't do the accent, Scarlett Bordeaux slapped McIntyre, causing outrage from the crowd in attendance. One woman in the crowd was especially angry and threw an entire plastic cup of an alcoholic drink on the valet. Security immediately checked on Scarlett, as well as ejecting the woman and her family. So it was a family affair. They were all out for a night at the, at the Graps. The police were called. The police were called following the incident. But according to PW Insider, another very fine uh, website. There was no physical altercation between the two women, and Scarlett Bordeaux got right back to work after security checked on her. And basically, the Peoria Civic Center has issued a statement on this incident. It is apparently now going to be analyzed as much as the Zapruder film of the Kennedy assassination. They say, we are aware of the incident. 
that took place at the WWE event on Saturday, November 12th. Fortunately, our Peoria Civic Center security team, along with the Peoria police, quickly identified the individuals responsible and escorted them out of the building for the remainder of the show. While we were disappointed in the actions of a couple and the brief distraction they caused, over 4,000 enthusiastic WWE fans were treated to a very entertaining event. Peoria police told WMBD that no charges were filed after the incident and no arrests were made. Quote, we said, go home. <laughs> Just leave, go home. <laughs> oh my God. And, and again, Scarlett, now Scarlett tweeted, uh, apparently she's from Chicago. And of course, Peoria is in Illinois too. Just that's about the only thing you say about Peoria. As a classy woman from Chicago, I'm not surprised that something like this would happen in Peoria. P.S. <laughs> P.S. To the granny who threw the drink, your booze was as cheap as your hairdo. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now, see that? Okay, Scarlett. Yay. <laughs> hey, hold on here one second. Hold on. Let me. Let me give the. But now I know when somebody's been waiting for me to say, oh, well, back in my day, they didn't have any security and this and that and everything and blah, blah, blah. And then they should have thrown the thing on her and somebody should have gone over the rail and tackled her. No, no, no. But it's hilarious to me that we have come to the point where this is news. A heel got a beer thrown on him at a wrestling show. That this is that. Anybody noticed practically, much less news, much less the arena issuing a statement. Can you imagine if this was 1976, the Greenville Memorial Auditorium in South Carolina has issued the following statement. We are aware of the old man that stabbed Ole Anderson half an inch from his heart last Monday night. Fortunately, he ran off, but we were able to fucking find him anyway, and Peggy Lathan put a compress on Ole's chest so he didn't bleed to death before the ambulance got there, and they took him and they put 160-something stitches in his chest. But apart from that brief distraction, everybody else seemed like they had a great time. Here's a list of the 98 people kicked out tonight for throwing beer. Yes, here, here is... <laughs> and their families. Here is the police blotter from the 12 people in Tulsa that were taken out of the assembly center in fucking handcuffs and thrown in a police van after they were pulled off a of fucking manager Jim Cornette. You know, not, not a single fucking cop in any of the goddamn interactions that I've ever had that I've told you about or that I have told the stories of ever came to me after and said, are you okay? They just assumed if I was ambulatory. And I mean, as far as getting a beer thrown on you, eight or 10 beers on the way back to the ring, a lot of times was a good night because that meant that they couldn't actually physically get to you and they had to throw shit. So, but I just, I just cracked up that the, that this would be, you know, what maybe Little Rock, the Barton Coliseum could have issued a statement about the guy that vomited on me. Yes, fortunately, our Peoria Civic Center EMT found and followed the trail of vomit and was able to arrest and or hospitalize the perpetrator. 
But yeah, it's uh, now it's come to this that the buildings are issuing statements. Where that you work, Mid-South, World Class, obviously the Memphis Territory, Crockett. I think that would be the limit. I don't know how much it would have happened after that point. What fan base threw the most beer? Oh, God. Um, you know, it, again, it didn't depend on promotion. It depended on towns. And there were towns that, for whatever reason, because of the layout of the building, because of the lighting, because of the security or lack thereof of competent security, the fans were more accustomed and more comfortable with trying to get away with shit. And like I've said, even if you had good security, when you had a dark building, because I'm again, Jesus Christ, the people now, when they see the arena for the WWE or TNA, a TNA or AEW set up or whatever. Well, <laughs> I was, I was going down the list. And I accidentally remembered put TNA in as number two. Um, Everything wasn't lit up like that. You see that maybe the old YouTube videos or the pictures, they've turned the lights down, whether the building was full or not. Because it was wrestling. You had ring lights. So when you're walking to and from, in a lot of cases, they didn't turn the house lights up in between the matches. So then people would throw fucking all kinds of shit because they could get away with it and run off in the dark. And I've meant Tulsa was the worst for fan interaction and also for throwing beer. And believe me, every single fucking wrestling fan in Tulsa for Mid-South Wrestling had consumed a or several beers. And they would, it seemed like they'd want to keep a hold of them, but they would throw them like crazy. But 80 miles down the road in Oklahoma City, the myriad new building lit up security, more room around the ring because it was a bigger facility to begin with. And there you almost felt safe. That's the safest place that I encountered in Mid-South Wrestling and 80 miles from the most dangerous. So it just depended. What about in Dallas? They like to throw their beers? Oh, yes. Well, in Dallas, again, you know, the, the sportatorium and the beer was cheap because they, they had their own concession stand. And yes, you'd have cups flying, and at least with with beer, they didn't put it on ice because I didn't uh, I didn't mind the beer as much as the fucking they drink the soft drink before the ice melted and then wadded up, and it's like a rock. And I tell one time I had pink eye in Michigan. I were on a tour of Michigan, <laughs> and no, and I had this fucking pink eye, and God, it was driving me crazy, and. The boys put me in the back seat and said, don't touch us. All right. But we left the ring. I can't, was it Grand Rapids or might've been Saginaw? Step out and the first thing that happens is I get hit in the face with a fucking cold beer. Boom. And that's the only time that my eye didn't itch for four days for about 10 minutes. I guess that, that does something when you, you know, if you got pink eye, throw beer in your eye and see what happens. I would not then, suggest doing you know, that. Well, go ahead. Well, and then, you know, there's been a couple of times. That's one of the times that we had one of the riots in uh, Tulsa was I got blinded with beer first and I couldn't see. And that's when the boys, the people figured, okay, we've got him. He's blind. And the boys had to peel him off of me and blah, blah, blah. So, but, you know, drinks, drink cups, beer, you know, if they just wanted to make a disgusting 
or a statement that they were disgusted, they'd throw the popcorn boxes and all the popcorn would fly out. That wasn't going to hurt anybody, but they just, ah, fuck. That was kind of like an, ah, fuck you. A visual, ah, fuck you. Here's the popcorn. But you could make a goddamn large fucking arena drink cup full of ice. You could make that dangerous, especially if you got hit in the face with it. And there were buildings that would still sell fucking cans back in those days. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. And they had, bottles had pretty much gone by the wayside by the time I got into business, but that was a thing in the sixties, especially and before was bottles. And then you were always in trouble with people throwing things. If you had to, if your method of going back to the locker room was a breezeway underneath general admission seats, like at the end of the arena, but there's the, the breezeway you go through and, and there's people seated above you because then they can just drop shit down on you. And Oh goddamn, who was it that actually got a fucking fire extinguisher on the top of the head dropped Ooh. from like 20 feet up. Um, one of the fans took it off the fucking wall and timed it when the heels going underneath the, the deal dropped it straight down. I'm trying to, God damn it. Somebody out there will remind me who that was. Cause it, fucked him up pretty good yeah that'll do it but that's that's why we there, there's another thing that i hated about the building in tulsa was every, they had their own parking area you know the the building for you know employees and etc was down a ramp and enclosed in the back where the fans couldn't walk down there but it was on a lower level and there was a parking garage next to it and the fans could line part of the area up above it so we couldn't ever park our car under that area because if the people saw us getting in it after the matches they could drop bricks and who knows what the fuck else straight down so we'd have to either park at the other end or have one of the building stooges go and get our car and pull it up to where it was out of the chucking range how often were bricks an issue Again, it depended on, the, I mean, not inside the building a lot, you know, because even that back in those days, that would have even caused some notice if a guy walked in carrying a brick or two, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, even back in those days. But that's the thing. I mean, every wrestler, heel wrestler of the 60s and 70s tells a story. Lawler's got one and fucking Dennis Condry's got one and fucking if you were parked outside in the old days, outside of an arena and the cops were lackadaisical or there weren't many people hanging around or you just wanted to get to wherever the fuck quick or maybe you're out early but somebody's just pissed off and went out there waiting on you and they see which fucking car you're in and they'll throw the fucking... <laughs> Lawler, was, I think that was his story. He saw the guy with the fucking brick and he's, he stood there and talked to him. He said, if you throw that brick, I'm going to run you fucking down. If you throw that brick, I'm going to run you fucking down. And he gets in the car and the fucking guy threw the brick. Bam! Busted his windshield. He starts it and guns the fucking car. Because somebody cut all of his tires. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the same fucking guy. And that's, you know, and that was another thing. The tire, your tires. I had in uh, Smoky Mountain, me and Hildebrand were coming down the mountain from one of the Smoky Mountain TV tapings in like 
goddamn, where was it? Was it it was it Hayside, Virginia, or Council, one of the real small towns that we always did so well. We had like six or seven hundred people in Hayside, Virginia, at a little school gym. But get in my car, start down the mountain, go back home, and and I pull over the side of this little two lane road, and my rear tire is flat. And it's, it's somebody stuck it, right? They didn't just cut it. It would have been all the way stuck it, so it took a while. And the God damn it. And right as we start to get in the trunk, and I've got a spare, right? And Hildebrand looks up at the front and said, well, look at that. And the front left driver's tire was flattening out. It was turning. They'd got two of them. Because the motherfucker, they know you've only got one spare, right? So they'd always get two tires. So I said, fuck. And then Bobby Blaze. No, it wasn't Bobby Blaze. It was Robbie Eagle. Robbie Kellum. Him and his uh, his dad and a relative of his. He had, he had done a, a job that night on the show. They came driving by, or elsewise we've been out there in the goddamn woods forever. And uh, took us to... The nearest place, there was a goddamn, I'm trying to think where we went now, because there wasn't a hotel in that town. So he took us to a place that we could call, and and they could go and tow the car, and then we had to get a ride to the next town where there was a hotel. But nevertheless, yeah, that if they knew your car, I mean, guys have had tires cut multiple times, or they'll, they would shoot glue in your keyhole when you still used keys to unlock the car they would shoot glue in the keyhole or they'd lipstick your headlights so that you you know you they wouldn't light up um or anything they had with them so i mean dennis condry actually had his entire brand new red corvette painted black outside the nashville fairgrounds one night including the windows they just dumped buckets of black paint all over he couldn't find his car. He went out there. He's like, what the fuck? I know I parked right there where that black one is. Uh. And they tarred and feathered Bobby's car at the hotel in Alexandria after we tarred and feathered Rock and Roll Express on, or Magnum TA it was on TV. But I mean, no, guys have, they've done everything. They've burned guys' cars and it burned Ron Wright's plane. So it just depends. Don't let them see your shit. And that's why a lot of guys always had old beat up cars too. Of all the things that wrestling fans have thrown, I've never heard too much about them throwing a delicious steak. No, you never have. But that's because they're too greedy. They want to keep them all for themselves because they taste so good. And that's especially when they come from our friends at Omaha Steaks. You know what I was going to say, Brian, was that the holidays are right around the corner, but we still got some fall left cookouts, tailgate parties, the whole nine yards. That was until the last couple of days here in Louisville, Kentucky, when actually now is it not only colder than it's normally in January, but we're going to have snow squalls today. And I'm looking outside right now, and it looks like it sucks. So don't do a tailgate or a cookout. Bring it in the house. Bring it where the heat is. Cook in your own kitchen with the best steaks that you can order right to your own door, Omaha Steaks. And right now, they've got the mouth-watering assortments of perfectly aged steaks, ultra-juicy burgers, 
easy-to-prepare comfort meals, and guess what's going on? They've got a friends and family sale going on, and you may not be related to anybody at Omaha Steaks, but because you know us and you listen to us, you're their friend. And they've got a sale going on right now. As I said, the friends and family sale, 50% off site-wide. Half In these days of inflation, of rising prices, of incredible amounts of money just to go to the grocery store, which grocery store, Brian, I ask you, is giving us half off? And the answer is none of them. None of them. None of them. None of them. That's what I said. Yeah. But OmahaSteaks.com is, and if you use the promo code JCE, then you're also going to get $30 off your order. How the fuck are they doing this? The cows must be, they must be committing Harry Carey and dumping themselves in the, in the grinder. That's the only way they can possibly do this. So, apparently right now, while they stay in business, because let's face it, they're going to bankrupt themselves. Either that or the cows are going to find out about this and they're going to go on strike. They're going to be all saying, we, we refuse to die for this little money. We want to be prized and valued more. So while this offer is able to be given by OmahaStakes.com before, ladies and gentlemen, before it's overturned by the Supreme Court as unfair to cattle, go to OmahaStakes.com and stock up. Don't have people over. Don't have cookouts and tailgate parties. Buy all this meat for yourself and your own family and stick it in the freezer. It's already hermetically sealed and wrapped up and eat on it for the rest of your life. Think about yourself for once. Put your own needs first. OmahaSteaks.com, 50% off site-wide with the friends and family sale. Use the code JCE at checkout. You're going to get $30 off. That's all you got to do. Now, a minimum order may be required on this half-off deal. You can't just call them up and say, I want one hot dog. Deliver it. But what a deal you're getting. And they have great hot dogs. You haven't even talked about the hot dogs. Well, I hadn't even talked about the hot dogs because I'm too busy thinking about half-price steak. And burgers. And all the other stuff they got. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. So. Go right now, omahasteaks.com. The promo code is JCE, half off, $30 off your order. They might as well pay you to take the stuff. And you're going to eat forever on this while it lasts because I'm I'm saying they're going to be out of business in, in three months doing things. They're giving this stuff away. They will be in business and you will be getting your fine meats because they will be in well, business. Well, you'll get your meat and then it'll run them out of business that they're giving this stuff away. They are a secure company. They will not be going anywhere. They will be in business and you will be receiving they're gonna, fine They're going to be staying right there in Omaha. I, are they still in Omaha? I assume that's where their corporate headquarters are, but for the record, I don't know. Well, in the interest of full disclosure, neither do I. Maybe they're in fucking Peoria. Honolulu. But Honolulu steaks wouldn't sound so good, would it? No. And the, I've ship, been and to the Omaha, shipping costs would be ridiculous. I've been to Omaha, and I'll tell you what, they've... They've got a lot of cows out there. You can just, as soon as you step foot in Omaha, you can smell that dairy air. Omaha Steaks.
Anything else you want to say? You can't just end on derriere. Well, that's generally where people end. <laughs> Promo code JCE. Check it out today. But Jim, let's get yes. a question before we descend too much further into the de-evolution of this program here. This one was sent on Twitter using a hashtag corny drive through from Sean D. Brock. Which tra- now that sounds like an assumed name if ever I've heard one. Which tragedy from the 80s had a bigger industry-wide impact? David Von Erich or Magnum TA? I would think David because that would have affected multiple promotions. Well, that's... That's a good question because both guys were obviously at some point or another going to be NWA world champion. The Dallas promotion was so hot at the time, but then the Crockett promotion was so even hotter at the time, not hotter in Dallas, but hotter in Charlotte and overall. I I have to maybe want to say Magnum because... Well, here's the, I mean, bigger impact industry-wide. Now, does that mean more people were broken up about the thing or a bigger impact on business? I mean, obviously, David died, so people were more, you know, what's the word, remorseful or, you know, uh, mourning or and mourning or whatever. But honestly, I think Magnum probably cost, well... It would cost the it would cost the business more money because at the time, David was the son of a very powerful promoter, and he was going to get a run, all things being equal, with the NWA World Title. But would it have happened before Crockett in a, effectually took over the NWA two years later? Magnum would have definitely been the NWA champion before I would think that Crockett sold to Turner Broadcasting and probably while Crockett Promotions was still as hot as it was, he would have been the 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 guy at one point that was opposing Vince McMahon's champion, whether it be Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior, whatever that time period. So impact in terms of you know a tragedy and a guy who would have had a long career and in david and would have been world champion probably but things were changing and in but magnum the company that magnum was working for was doing even bigger business than world class was at the time it was at its hottest and he definitely, because by that point, Crockett controlled it, definitely would have had the NWA title and would have been the number one guy opposite Vince's. Now, how he would have fared in that role, can we can speculate again. But, but yeah, because and I mean, just business-wise, a lot of people may not understand they see those you know, the videos of, of Texas Stadium and the sold-out Reunion Arena and the Freebirds Von Erics, yes, they were hugely hot in that Texas market, and they had great television in other places, but they, world-class, never grossed anywhere near the amount of money that 
Crockett Promotions grossed in 1986 by probably three or four times, I would think. Did Fritz listen to David more than the other brothers? I, I mean, I can't. I, w- I was never there until after David was gone. And so, and, you know, I, I'm not the one to answer that question. Because we're talking but impact. I, if Fritz's number one son was David. Yes. If David well, was. Well, no, hold on now. Kevin no, was the Kevin, oldest, but. Kevin was the oldest, but David was the heir apparent in the ring at that point. In the ring and potentially in the office, if we're going to be honest about it, because before they were ready, Fritz was getting his kids involved right. in the office, for good or for bad. But if David lives, is David the brother that convinces Fritz to say yes to Vince, who was clearly after the Von Erichs and wanting to do something with them, featured them on TV, put them in the magazine, did a 10-bell salute for David on TV? Well, but we see, and here's the thing, I never met David. But, honestly, if he was anything like the other boys, the one thing I have heard from everybody, and David was the best worker of the bunch in terms of Kevin was the best athlete. Carrie was the magnificent physique and appearance and the charisma. David was the worker. David was the, got the psychology of the business, and David was the worker. And that's why he was the one that everybody said would be the eventual NWA champion. He was also the only one to leave his dad. Well, but but he didn't leave. He was sent. And see, that was all part of... And remember, Kevin went to Atlanta for a while, too. That's right. But David went to Florida to work under Eddie Graham and with all the talent that they had in Florida and Dory Funk Jr., and become a heel because he he couldn't be a heel in Texas without throwing the whole goddamn thing into turmoil. And he needed experience at that if he was going to be the champion. So they sent him there on purpose. But that's where I was going to say, I've, I've heard all those other things about David, that he was the worker and he got the business psychologically the best and et cetera. But if he was anything like the other boys, he would not have been the one to convince his father to sell to Vince. He wouldn't have wanted to just go to the WWF and be a big star because Vince wanted him. He was a he was a Texan and he was a Von Erich, and he would have wanted to fight like the rest of them did. And the only reason Kerry went to work for Vince was when it was obvious that the cause was lost. So I think that David would have would have probably been Fritz's right hand guy saying, we can do this, dad. You know, we can. And, and you know, honestly, since David's tragedy, his death was the one, the thing that started the ball rolling on the demise of yeah. world class. That's right. I was going to bring that up because that's the big moment, really. If that hadn't happened then would the other things have happened and would how much impact would they have had and how much would it have stalled off? Uh, you know, if, if David had survived and the other things by the end of 85, first part of 86 hadn't happened, there's no reason to think that world-class wrestling wouldn't have been in almost as good shape as it was in, in 84 and 85, which it was still doing, you know, still doing well right at, after, David's death, we got there. They you did well until 86. The, 
Yeah, well, you could you could see they weren't as as hot as in '83 and and '84, but you could. I mean, business was still. We're still selling out Reunion Arena. They still had, you know, a quarter of a million dollar house in Texas Stadium. But by 86, a year later, and then 87 was death. So if that hadn't happened, and David was Fritz's right-hand man, and there's no way that if the people in Dallas and the Metroplex had not lost faith in the Von Erics as people before they lost, or right about the same time they lost faith in wrestling, it wouldn't have crashed like that, and there's no way that Vince McMahon could have blasted Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, or anybody else in Dallas with dynamite and got over the Von Erichs. I don't care who the fuck he had or who they were. From If the people had felt the same way about the family and, and the wrestling business in 80 six, seven, and eight, as they did in 83, four, and five, then that would have been one of the hardest markets for Vince McMahon to get into and do any business whatsoever. But they, 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 they ruined it. David was the brother that could potentially turn heel. Think about that. Imagine oh, yeah. after Gino and Chris have all of a sudden, David loses his temper with Kevin or Kerry. That would be pretty interesting. Well... But you know what? Would the fans have accepted a heel Von Erich brother versus the other brothers? Well, here's the thing. The only time that you would have ever even considered that is if death was already at the door, if the business was already almost fucking, and then, well, that's at, at, at last resort. Because, I mean, Lance Von Erich, that was a giant black eye to their business and the whole family and the whole thing, but at least they also, they knew he was a fake brother from the start. If cousin, the brother, cousin, or whatever the fuck he was, fake Von Erich. If you had actually had at the time, they were the most popular and most over. If you had had one of those boys turn on any of the other one, and David would have been the best choice. And it would have actually been, you know, probably interesting to see. But I think it would have killed the fucking business. The only time you would have done in Dallas, the only time you would have done that is if it was already this, there's no other hope left because that they, they, the, the fans would have either bought it out of morbid curiosity to see what was going to happen. And that may have done short-term business or they would have felt the same way about that as they felt about the the real life shit they were seeing in the news. Now they've just gone too far. Now it's, it's not what we thought and they would have lost faith. The interesting thing about Lance Von Erich too, is they first mention him after David dies on TV. They say that Waldo has a son, cousin Lance, he'll be coming over to help out the family. And then we don't see him for a year and a half. And then all of a sudden it's the wrestler we now know as Lance Von Erich who shows up, but they had the well, idea of a fake well, family remember, member. Remember, that because we came in, me and the Midnight Express came in what um December. Well, we started over there in December. And that's the same time that Billy Jack had had come in. Were they getting, did they have an inkling that Carrie was going to be considered for that movie part that early? 
that because they may be thinking, my God, now David's gone and now and we might be down another Von Eric. Because it's only like what six, seven, eight months difference. So they may have thought at the time that, you know, well, we'll bring another Von Eric in if Carrie goes away and does the movie and, and David's gone and then they got Billy Jack and then they put the other idea on the back burner. You see where I'm saying? It, they could have thought of it earlier and then finally did it when things were really in dire, dire straits. It really is crazy to think about the idea that the first, the first 80s tragedy for the Von Erics could have been Mike instead of David. It changes everything. And if that had been if that had been the case, then the Von Erichs would have had all kinds of sympathy. They would, may have been even more over than they were if if it because Mike was a a you know a tragic case of you know he didn't mean to fucking contract an infection and shoulder surgery and toxic shock and all that stuff and. They, the people already had sympathy, but it was the second tragedy, and they were starting not to handle these tragedies well with their public relations. But, it, you know, it wasn't Mike's fault. Then Carrie running into the fucking police car or whatever, or, you know, that. 86 is the things. year change. 86 is the year they leave the NWA. 86 is the year Ken Mantell takes all the talent and goes to Watts. Yeah. 86 is the year that Curry Von Erich gets in the motorcycle accident, and you see Lance all over TV. 86 is the game-changer year for world-class. You go from Ric Flair being your world champion, no disrespect to Rick Rude, to Rick Rude being your world champion. Yeah, and this is before Rick Rude was even Rick Rude. And then with, with Mike also, it was kind of sad in a different way in that I think Mike's coming back to wrestling kind of made a lot of the fans go, ah, oh, we're not sure we want to see that or watch. Cause it, it was the sad. Miracle, he, they called him. Yes, but he looked sad and he looked, it, it wasn't a triumphant return. He wasn't that good to begin with, honestly. And it, you know, whatever, you know, his brain and everything else went through during the 106 degree fever and all that stuff. He was never the same afterwards. And, it just wasn't a fun thing to see him. And it, 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 bless him, it wasn't a real goddamn easy deal to work with him before he, you know, had that issue. Because he was not a natural worker at all. And so it, it just, it made it all difficult. And I think a lot of the fans said, I don't know whether we want to just do this anymore. It must have been tougher for him than the others because, you know, Kevin and Kerry and David, Broken years earlier, they actually worked with a lot of the guys. Mike actually watched his brothers work, and you have to think that influenced whatever he thought working should be. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure that anything influenced in his mind what he thought working should be. It didn't look like he'd spent a lot of time fucking working on what he was trying to do to begin with. I don't know that he wanted to wrestle. I think he almost had to. And I think down deep, he knew what he looked like, that... You know, he, he wasn't, he was, he was closer to fucking Danny Partridge than he was to Keith. The other guys looked the part. He didn't look the part. And they tried to say he was the best athlete of the bunch. Maybe at pole vaulting. I don't know. But it just, it didn't work. And they, the more that 
it was obvious it wasn't going to work the harder they tried to make it work. And I think that he was just, you know, Chris, the little, he really wanted to be a wrestler bad because he wanted to follow in the footsteps of his brothers. I don't know whether Mike was that thrilled about it, but felt like he maybe had to. To go back to Magnum, because you said something that I think is important. You don't know how the fans would have taken to him once he got the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. If it happens at Starcade 86, if it happens at some point in 87, you were there. How do you think the fans react to the idea that he's no longer chasing, he is now the champion, and do you think Magnum would have been able to stay a babyface's world champion? Well, that's that's the thing is that, I mean, the Carolinas fans and the, the base Crockett fans would have loved him. They already loved him. He was fucking over like God. But the question I have is whether it stay a baby face maybe is not the the proper word, but the I guess by that point it was becoming a company title in terms of Magnum wasn't gonna have to go around the world to every uh you know, every territory and work with baby faces and heels and different styles, because by that point it was pretty much Crockett centric. But everybody's gotta remember Magnum at that point had only been working for like four years. And even though he was an incredible athlete, and even though he was somewhat of a prodigy, and you go back now, and again, looking at it with today's eyes, whereas we thought he was still green, he'd look like a goddamn million dollars in today's environment because you don't have the plethora of talent that you had back then today. But I I think that he... To follow in the NWA world champion footsteps, the quality of of wrestler that always held it, and to follow Flair, Magnum was still somewhat green. He had the the aura, and he had the athletic ability, and he had the and he was over, and he had the fan base. He needed to, eh, a lot of people said this, but he especially the mustache, the Tom Selleck mustache. Made him always look dour. Even when he grinned, you couldn't tell it. And he was always really, you know, had the game face on. And as a baby face, you know, Dusty smiled a lot. Of t- and the Rock and Roll Express, they would smile. But Magnum was always so serious. I would have liked to have seen, as he progressed over the next few years, if he had gotten those few years, he'd both smooth up a few of the rough edges. And I mean, and for that time period, having a few rough edges on his work was good because it made it look like a shoot. He wasn't dangerous. He just wasn't as smooth as guys who had been in the business twice as long. But uh, but he would have he was still improving because my God, when we got to him in mid south in eighty four, he'd only been in the business two years, and it. it the matches, as you go back and look, and that's why two was in his corner, and that's why he was against the Midnight Express. Everybody around him was experienced. He was still a great athlete, but he would get lost, sidetracked, confused every once in a while in position or place, and you get him back around. And by two years later, now he's main eventing as a single most of the time in Crockett Promotions with the best talent roster in the business and hanging in there. He was a quick learner. so. Two years after the accident, if it hadn't happened, you know, he would have been 
two more years farther along and the way that he was picking things up. So that's why I said if it had worked out, I think maybe 86, 87 was rushing it a little bit. But was Dusty going to rush it? He might have rushed it. That's what I'm saying. He probably would have rushed it because he loved Maggie May. That's why he said Maggie May is going to do this and that and the other thing. So he may have rushed it, but he would have. And that's, again, if we're doing what if, that probably would have been the only time he'd ever got to hold it. Because if we're doing what if, maybe the whole thing didn't happen like it did and TBS turned out to be good owners instead of shitty owners. And they hired people that knew what they were doing. And in 1994, Magnum T.A. and Hulk Hogan, did I say 1994? 1994 would have been more like Magnum T.A. and Bret Hart would have been the dream match that everybody was thinking about. Jim, our next question, sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from Michelle. Around three years ago, I had no idea who you were. Ha! <laughs> You were brought into my life by my boyfriend, who is a huge fan. He loves listening to your podcast, and I would listen with him. When we were in the car together, or if he was listening in the house. Because of listening to your podcast, I've become more interested in wrestling, especially the history of wrestling, and have occasionally watched a pay-per-view. We have recently gotten engaged, and I would love a quote to add to my vows from you. So if, so if you have any available time to give me your thoughts on love or relationships that I could share with him on our wedding day, that would be wonderful. Well, and, and what was her name again? Michelle. Michelle. First of all, congratulations, Michelle, you and your unnamed boyfriend. And I think, you know, the, the thing you got to think of is just remember this. After the ceremony and after the wedding night, the next day, the next morning, when the sun comes up and the birds are chirping and you roll over in your new marital bed and your husband, your new husband stretches and says, honey, I feel like a new man. All you got to say is, so do I. No, don't say that. That's horrible advice. And it's for her wedding vows. What are you saying <laughs> I know. Put the motherfucker in his place as quick as you can. In front of his whole Establish family? Establish in front of his whole... Well, what is his whole family doing watching him wake up from their fucking wedding night? Well, what kind of goddamn family is this? No, these are the... Fucking Alabama? Or what's going the, on here? Well, maybe, but these are the vows. These are the vows in front of everyone. I would oh, imagine. I, I, I don't know about the vows in front of everyone. I, You know, if I were you... Michelle, considering what your fiance probably looks like, I'd probably I'd I'd marry in secret. Maybe do it online. That way nobody can take any pictures. If later on if you change your mind, there's no proof it happened. There's a great episode of Kirby Enthusiasm where Larry and his wife Cheryl are gonna renew their vows, a very popular thing amongst people. And they're writing their vows and he says, I plan to love you until death, and she wants it to say for all eternity. And he's saying I kind of thought it was still death, and then I get to start over and do something else. <laughs> and she was a little upset about that. But what do you think? Is it well, till well, death? Well, he, Michelle, you should love him until the end of time. And now you're praying for the end of time to hurry up and arrive, because if I got to spend another minute with you, I don't think I could barely survive. I'll never break my promise or forget my vow, but God only knows I could die right now. 
Praying for the end of time is all that I can do. Ooh, ooh, praying for the end of time <laughs> so I can end my time with you. How many people in that church or wherever this may be? <laughs> or the steeple, open up the church and see all the people. How many people will recognize these lyrics and understand what is going on if she doesn't recognize the lyrics? And she I just don't know. I, it's not my fault. You ask for wisdom if you're not smart enough to fucking... Uh, pick up no michelle we wish all of you people the very best in whatever your future endeavors are do you have any advice for michelle and her boyfriend about the internet well you know i do come to think of it because you know we've been having problems with the internet not only the spectrum folks but also just any internet service provider we've been talking about this and a lot of people are picking up on this now you know folks if you're laying in bed at night in the middle of the dark, it's pitch black, you're alone in your home, you live alone, you're lonely, and you hear voices. You really are hearing voices. You're not crazy. These voices are coming from inside your wall. Oh, not this again. No, they're not. Well, no. No. Well, now we proved, because remember, I was whispering the other day. We didn't prove anything. We proved. And the thing is, is that they're keeping an eye on you. They're in, just If you're laying awake right now listening to us, you're home alone, take a hatchet, an axe, a small claw hammer. Don't do that. And pop a couple of holes in your wall and stick your ear in there. You will hear people talking about you. And I'll tell you another bad thing. Idea. A bad idea you will regret. Do not do that. <laughs> I'll tell you another th- bad idea. Bad idea. You sound like a... A spoil sport, a killjoy of Mr. Buzzkill. Here's something else. <laughs> Here's something else that they're doing out there. Do you know that there's a way around having to watch the uh, the old WWE network on our friends, Mr. Peacock? Do you know that they still have the WWE network available for other countries? And this is one of those hacks that the kids talk about. Do you know if you change your country that you can actually still access the WWE network and there ain't a dadgum thing anybody can do about it? Were you aware of this? I've heard some things. I didn't see this in the copy here for ExpressVPN, but I've heard about some things. Well, no, but they're talking about something else. Apparently the Netflix is the same way. They got all kinds of shows on Netflix that are only available outside of the U.S. Because, of course, we are, we're a downtrodden country. And you, you basically, you don't get, if you're an American, you don't get to see all the things you could see. But, you know how you fix that? Our friends at ExpressVPN. Now, as a matter of fact, Ron DeShane alerted me to something. You remember our friend Ron, Ron DeShane? I remember a name Rhonda, yes. Well, he is actually a, an ExpressVPN customer. And due to their fine service, he was able to do what you wouldn't do here not long ago. He wrote me and he said, Jim, thanks to ExpressVPN and their wonderful product, I was able to Google, is sheep fucking legal in Japan, with almost zero consequences. Not a single federal agent has arrived at my house, no sheep porn has popped up on my computer, and aside from a few ads for sheep shears, gloves with extra grip support, and airfare to Japan, my computer is absolutely fine. 
I did notice that my favorite podcast was named Sheepshed, but I'll assume that's just a strange coincidence. So please let Brian know that next time you ask him to Google something of that nature, all he has to do is fire up the ExpressVPN and Google to his heart's content knowing oh, that yeah. the answers to your burning questions about Japanese bestiality laws are at his fingertips. Please let Rhonda know that by the time this show airs, we're going to alert the authorities to this sicko out there. To well, but Jenny won't Google. be able to find him. What a freak. We'll find him. Because the people, the people, they think because of ExpressVPN, everybody thinks that he's living in, in Guadalajara or Bolivia or somewhere. We will help the authorities find this man. You can't. You can't. That's how ExpressVPN is working this whole scam. Well, we can help. You can't say we can't See, help. No, the, yeah, the thing is, folks, if you want to watch the WWE Network and they say it's only available in Venezuela, guess what? Boom, you can move to Venezuela. You want to watch Netflix and all the stuff they're hiding from us God-fearing Americans? Boom, you can tell them people that you live on the Isle of Malta. What ExpressVPN does, it encrypts you. It encrypts you. And that's not, a, I thought at first that was a bad thing. I thought that was being enclosed in a concrete mausoleum. But apparently I, I was incorrect about that. It, if you're encrypted, that means that your data is not easily available. It can't just be willy-nilly spread about by these, these frivolous and promiscuous ISP people that are living inside your walls. And ExpressVPN is going to reroute you through a server location of your choice. That means you can go anywhere in the world for free. If you've ever wanted to live on a uh, and the South Seas of France, boom. You've got an boom address. What? No, you no, that's not uh, how it works. No. Well, how do, do they do they pay for the transport of all your worldly possessions to wherever you want to move to, or do they just send you there and you've got to drag your shit with you? There is no moving. You won't be moving. The customer potentially won't be moving. Well, it says you can choose from over ninety different countries that your internet would be based out of. That your uh, well, ISP you're, address you're would be coming if from. If you're sitting there watching your internet, you got to be there along with it. So I assume that they're they're taking you and your computer and potentially your most comfortable chair, and they're going to send you to goddamn Bolivia. Well, for the record, just let the listeners know there's no travel involved with ExpressVPN. Well, to, but to get to watch the network and Netflix, anyway, here's the best part. It's not just for that. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows or sports on other streaming services. You can basically, you can hack into anything here. The, the moon launch they're about to do, I bet you you can hop onto the fucking screen from NASA. Just as a matter of fact, put your address in, moon, and see what happens. Look, there's a reason why ExpressVPN is the number one rated VPN provider by publishers like TechRadar and The Verge. I don't know what that reason is, but there's a reason, and we're going to find out sooner or later. But right now, if you want to put something over on somebody, and if you want to impersonate yourself living in a place that you don't in order to get services that are not supposed to be coming to you, well, goddamn ExpressVPN will fix you right up. And right now, if you go to expressvpn.com slash JCE, 
you're going to get three extra months of service for free. ExpressVPN.com slash JCE. You're going to learn more. You're going to get three extra months of service for free just because you know me. And in three months, who knows where the hell you might be living by the time that they get finished with you. But you'll be seeing some fine internet. You'll be wherever you want to be because by getting finished with you, they will be leaving you alone to do whatever you want. What? Did I just blow your mind? Are you all right over there? By getting finished with you, they will be leaving you alone. They'll never leave you alone. They're they always going to protect they're going to protect you and they're going to have you covered as long as you take advantage of their service and they're going to put you where they in their wisdom believe you need to be to be best protected. Which will be wherever you want to be. No. Well, no, sometimes I'd say you no. want to be somewhere. <laughs> and they say, no, no, it's dangerous. Somebody might hack into your goddamn Google there and 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 rotom, motor your routum or whatever the fuck. <laughs> you need to be you? over here. You need to be in Iceland where we can take care of you and keep an eye on you. Or maybe Greenland or Scotland. Again, I think we need to stress there's no travel involved. You're not being promised any travel. You will not be transported to any oh, No, you're, you're being routed through there. Yes. So, so you're going to end up somewhere. So if you're going through there, you might <laughs> no. stop and say hello. Your signal you is being routed. You might take some pictures. Only your signal. But, oh, just the signal, huh? The signal. You I could be figured you'd you have to go and follow it to make sure it was connected. No, this is for people like you who don't want to travel. Oh, well, in that case, expressvpn.com slash JCE. You don't have to go anywhere and you can still put shit over on people. Well, Jim, you may want to use ExpressVPN for the next topic I want to ask you about. Several people have been emailing in and sending in things on Twitter. Did you see Chris Jericho on The Masked Singer? <laughs> yes. Have they revealed it's actually him yet? Because it's not like you can't tell from that voice and the, the first singer, I want to dance with you, or you want to dance with me, or what? It sounded like when he was singing a cappella, you know, a cappella, oh, a cappella. When he was singing a cappella, the rock song for Sebastian Bach when they were having their Twitter war. It sounded just like that. And I saw that clip and I saw the, I guess the premise of the show is obviously it's some celebrity of some description from some field that is under these outlandish costumes and sings and they give clues and the panel has to figure out who it is and I listen to the clues and I I must not be good at puzzles because I don't know where they're going. Clue but, one, uh, he sings like shit. But well, but it's it's obviously, I mean, that's his voice. That's some things you can just tell. And every every wrestling fan spotted it immediately, but the panel is was apparently completely bumfuzzled and but uh, have they revealed him yet, or is this uh, going on, an ongoing concern here? As soon as everyone heard that shitty voice, it revealed who it was. They, I don't know. But I mean, when, how, do, how are the eliminations, or when do they pop the hood and re make the big reveal, or what? how does this show work? They're never going to guess it. Are those people going to guess the name Chris Jericho? No, they're probably, when they hear Chris Jericho, they're still going to say who? Well, no, they're not going to say that because they're going to be clued in to, okay, now, when, if anybody, and I assume that's not just for Jericho, but if, if 
anybody gets unmasked on our show and you didn't guess right, look shocked like, oh, I can't believe it's you, even if you don't know who they are. Because elsewise, it would make the show look like shit. So they got to do some level of working. But I don't think Chris Jericho, the lead singer of Fozzie, would be uppermost in their mind when they're trying to guess a mystery celebrity singer. Tell me the truth. You know how I feel. He can't sing, can he? Well, I'm a bad judge because... You've listened to music your whole life, yeah. Because, well, (laughs) I'm a bad judge because I can't do it myself, so I admit that. But having said that, uh, once I heard that acapella version, and it wasn't the studio version of Judas with a lot of bells and whistles and effects and maybe some auto-tune, yeah, I don't think he can sing. Like, it sounds like he's impersonating a singer from the 80s. Just he got this voice! Like, it just doesn't sound... Well, like yeah, it's, it's like, good. you know, you're you're trying to do the, the, the karaoke thing, you know, but... <laughs> and you're you're imitating that person who does that thing well, but... Does the mass singer never end if the last person's name can't be guessed? Do they just sit there and keep guessing names <laughs> until they finally get it? At, at some point, there's got to be a prize given of some description, right? If you... If you stump the panel. Let's hope they give Fozzie a worldwide tour that lasts seven years. <laughs> now, come on now. What do you, what do you want to do to the music business? You, you, that, that's your former occupation. Why now do you want to put the music business out of business? Bottom it out so we can build it back up like Austin Theory. Well, there you go. That's my theory on what to do with the music business. That's it. Well, it's only a theory because it hasn't been proven. Jim, this next one was sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from William Molina Jr. Can you give examples of how wrestlers and bookers slash promoters gave their notices in wrestling? (laughs) Well, I mean, the standard way was for, for a wrestler at least, was to go to the booker and say, well, I'm giving my two weeks notice. Either, you know, I'm not making any money or I'm not really happy with the spot or I've got a chance to go do something else or whatever. And you could kind of tell if they argued with you at all or if they said, oh, no, we understand. Well, then you need to get the fuck out of there because if they're not even going, oh, now, come on, then they had no plans for you or whatever. And sometimes, you know, if a booker felt, well, you know, we need the guy and he wants to leave, but what about if he had an extra hundred bucks a week or some, whatever, there could be some negotiation and maybe sometimes guys would stay. They just made a point, but that's the normal way that you did it back in the old days. And of course, a lot of times as with everything else in wrestling, everything didn't always go normally. And, and I shouldn't, in some territories, like was it Crockett? Crockett maybe wanted four weeks before contracts became a thing because bigger territory. And I mean, Vince senior, if to stay on his good side, if he didn't give you an end date and you wanted to leave, it was probably best to give a couple months because the way that territory worked, but otherwise guys just would no show or would fucking get mad and yell and quit or have a big fucking whatever. As far as a booker quitting, one of the greatest booker quitting stories I ever heard was from Bill Dundee when I first got into business. Because Dundee was started in Australia working for Barnett as a, you know, an underneath guy when he first got into business. And he was there when, you know, 
Australia, he was on the periphery of it when Australia was the biggest territory in the world. And at one point, Paul DeMarco was Barnett's booker. And Dundee said DeMarco one time came into Barnett's office with the booking book and he stuck it out over Barnett's desk and he dropped it and he said, I have mastered the business and I am done. And he turned around and left the office and went to the airport and flew back to the United States. So that, you know, there's every kind of way to give your notice. And especially if you got creative, I mean, Terry Funk will even a note on Vince's door of what the day before the survivor or the day of the survivor series. Sorry, Vince had to go home and take care of a sick horse. What about you guys in world-class? That was an interesting scenario. Um, we, we gave our notice the actually the proper way and gave him four weeks. As I recall, I think we, we got our, let's see, uh, Texas stadium was may first week of may, let's say may 5th or 6th. We got our check the next week. I called Crockett immediately afterwards. We had things worked out. We gave him our notice the first week of June and left and started for Crockett July 1st. I thought you gave them a heads up when you first got there because you didn't want to go there that you were going to <laughs> well, we, well, we get that was the second time. We, the, that was the first time. The second time we gave our notice, we actually left and went to work for Crockett. The first time we gave our notice, we actually went over there for the first TV taping. And I've told this story before, but maybe for the younger viewers, we, after we had been told that we were finishing up in Mid-South and we were going around the horn with the scaffold matches with the Rock and Roll Express and put them over on the way out as they had done us earlier in the year, but they didn't tell us we were booked anywhere. And we had been waiting to go to the Carolinas because both Flair and Dusty had asked us when they had been in. So I called and made the deal to come in for Crockett, which would have, we would have started in January of 85. But then Dundee calls and says, ah, shit, Watts wants you to go to, to Dallas because he's working with Fritz and changing talent. That way we can bring you back for Oak city and Tulsa and the Superdome and the big, whatever big shows. Oh, God damn it. (laughs) Well, let's, what do we do now? Well, let's go see. And actually the first, it was what, December 14th or 15th or 16th, somewhere in there before the Christmas break, we were supposed to go over and do our first TV in Dallas. And we said, well, we'll go and see. And we went over and that of all nights was a night that they weren't even doing their Fort Worth TV in the Will Rogers Coliseum. They were doing it in an exhibition hall at the fairgrounds because Will Rogers was booked for some holiday business. And we pull in there, and it's a goddamn big empty room. And there's probably about six or seven or 800 people there, which was horrible, even for Fort Worth. And that's when we told Ken Mantell, well, we, we really, we've, we've got a start date in Charlotte, and we think we're probably going to have to do that. And that's when Ken Mantell got told Fritz, and he got on the phone to Watts, and then Watts called and shamed us, and oh, blah, blah, blah. blah. And so that's when I called Crockett back and said, well, we're going to have to delay this. They want us to go to Dallas. And then Crockett said, well, it's okay. It's not the first time Bill Watts has fucked me. And I'm like, oh my God, now I'm starting a promotional war between Watts and Crockett. And, you know, we, we ended up, we went and did the best we could with the situation, but 
as we've mentioned many times before, Dallas wasn't a large roster or a large office or a large infrastructure, and they were cooling off. And the booking, Ken Mantell was rotten. And it was so elementary. And we took it uh, for six months for kind of a paid vacation because the trips were mostly short, except for South Texas. And and then finally, when we got that check for Texas Stadium and figured this is probably as good as it's ever going to be, and we gave our notice. And one thing, this <laughs> this wasn't really given notice because we know Austin Idol was the king of actually giving notice without actually giving notice. He just wouldn't appear sometimes. And then there would always you know, be some story afterwards that kind of tied all the loose ends up. but. So this wasn't really given notice for his job, but he was working Memphis one time and he'd made Memphis TV on sa on Saturday morning and Lawler wanted him. They were at he was booked, he was advertised in Jonesboro, Arkansas that night. But he had a plane ticket to fly back to Pensacola that afternoon and Lawler said, "No, come on, you got to make Jonesboro, blah blah blah. I'll take you, you can ride with me, whatever." Okay, we'll just Take me by the airport, and I'll change my ticket. So Lawler takes him over to the airport and pulls up, and Idol gets out of the car and says, I'll be right back. Lawler's sitting there waiting, sitting there waiting. Finally, he goes in. Idol got on the plane and fucking flew back to Pensacola. There's the room. Everyone's like, oh, he's afraid of flying. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> no. he just He's afraid of flying anywhere he doesn't want to go. But uh, so Lawler was the next time he saw him, he was like, how long were you going to leave me sitting out there? And he said, well, I knew you had to get to Jonesboro, King. He once told me a story. Idol himself told me the story that when he was working Southeastern, he was like the top baby face in the promotion. One day he was just like, you know, I don't want to go. And he just called Ron Fuller at home. He's like, Ron, I'm done. He's like, what, what do you mean? He's like, I just decided I don't want to do this anymore. And it was nothing, Ron Fuller knew him long enough to realize there was no talking him out of this. And that was it, Idol was gone. Just decided you'd rather do something else for the time being. Ah, it's the wrong day to do it today. Jim, this next question sent via email to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com is from Johnny Chavez, San Jose, Costa Rica. Now that Jeff Jarrett is joining AEW as a writer, well, I don't think he's a writer, but what? but I guess as a wrestling uh, personality, it's becoming more and more obvious that AEW is turning into a refugee camp for ex-WWE employees. When AEW first began, it wasn't crazy to think that Tony Khan would hire ex-WWE talent based on their capacity and what they could bring to the table. Now it feels like Tony just wants to hire any ex-WWE, period. Is Tony turning into a new version of Dixie Carter? I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Well, well, um, you know, there's got to be a balance because as I've said before, you'd be insane if Brian Danielson wanted to wrestle for your wrestling promotion. You'd be insane not to fucking take him. That doesn't mean that, you know, you need to take everybody that's ever worked for the WWE. There needs to be context. There needs to be a plan. There needs to be a happy minimum. I don't know that 
Jeff Jarrett gives people more of an impression uh, these days of WWE rather than TNA more recently or the, you know, global force or whatever. And you and I, Brian, have talked about this, uh, you know, the, yeah, I don't think he applies to this really so much. Yeah. But the, and the AEW fans are the, the really core AEW fans that are really just fans of that because they love the, the Cucamonga kids and Twinkle Toes and the whole indie, the Puddin' Gang, the the indie core of this thing. They think that anybody that's ever wrestled for a, a mainstream television promotion is somehow the outsider because they'll come in with their big names and their experience and tell my favorite wrestlers what to do. So there's that. It was the same kind of thing. When... Ring of Honor, the Ring of Honor fans wanted to see the fucking Super Smash Brothers more than they wanted to see fucking Haas and Benjamin or fucking Rhino or Lance Storm. If you read the comments that we got back in the day on the message boards, oh, well, the, and by the way, folks, for those of you who don't know, and there are a lot of you, the Super Smash Brothers back then is the dork order. It's Fat fucking Uno and his partner. And they were still the shits even back then. Actually, they were shittier because they were dressed up as video game characters. But that's the kind of wrestlers. They wanted unknown wrestlers because it was part of their little private club. That's that subset of the audience. And then there's a part of the audience that doesn't mind seeing guys that have been on television promotions but can still go athletically and contribute to the to the product and those are the most you know reasonable and then there are some that are you know just want to see fucking names and there's nothing you can do about that you know they just want to see names regardless of what but you've got to have you know some kind of happy medium you don't just bring in Every name that becomes available, I know Tony has endless money because we've gone through his roster. And if it was $100 a week and he's paying 150 fucking wrestlers and half of them are never sell pussy on a troop train, much less a wrestling ticket, then he's got an unlimited budget. But then you've just cluttered the place up with a bunch of people that were beaten into powder before they last left their mainstream television position. Or he signed Mark Henry and Big Show and has put them in witness protection. And it, what the fuck? It, okay, then either he's decided, well, I shouldn't have signed them, but he's still paying them, so why don't we see them? You mean to tell me that Big Show doing some kind of interview segment or something wouldn't get more attention than fucking Alex Marvez. But uh, so it, it, it does bother me, like you said, with Jeff and Sanjay and Jay Lethal together, because now it's like TNA and add the pinhead, and it looks like TNA with goddamn, you know, somebody from the Howard Stern show. You don't want to call back to things that may not necessarily worked out well in the past. So I, I, you know, I don't, if Tony's in a bad position because he's 
overstocked with members of the roster, but he's understocked on real talent. And if he brings anybody in that's been a name for any other company, then the core audience resents it because they want to see more of Muffin Top Taylor. But at the same time, he's got to bring in people that and any average wrestling fan or anybody that might become a wrestling fan would really want to get into and see the Danielsons and the Punks. And that's not that's not worked out well when he's brought in anybody with any opinion that differs from the EVPs. They generally get shot down and nullified. Remember two years ago, it was Jim Ross trying to fucking give him some advice. Now he just burps in their general direction every once in a while because he knows it's useless. So he's he's stuck. He doesn't run the company. So the locker room culture is run off and formed on its own without Tony being in charge of it. And what wrestler they bring in not only gets vetted by the fans, but by the people in the locker room. And it, fe- it makes the locker room feel good. When he brings back somebody that's never contributed one penny to their bottom line, but they get in boo-boo face. When he brings in a star that tells the rest of them how to fucking act and maybe up their game. And then, as I said, you've got fans that are, as long as Twinkle Toes is bringing in imitation female wrestlers from Japan, they'll buy that. But they don't want to see anybody that's worked for the biggest wrestling promotion on the planet. So what do you fucking do? You know, the Soraya promo this past week, that was one of the big mistakes I thought in it was her just acting like she's a bigger star because she comes from WWE. And that's like the last thing those fans want. If it's a WWE refugee camp, it's one thing. But when you shove it in people's faces, they resent it real quick. Well, and and that's the simile that you just came up with is better than Jeff Jarrett's Soraya is that she really is a WWE product. As far as I know, she's comes from a wrestling family. As far as anybody in this country knows, though, they've only seen her in the WWE. So now she comes in there and now it's the outsider to all of those people trying to fuck with Britt Baker, who's one of their more popular heels. And there was sarcasm dripping in that line, but let's remember, almost all of the AEW heels are very popular. So when you go to fucking with one of them, their fans are going to be territorial. And yes, and then Britt Baker, as all good heels do, told the truth about the baby face and people got on her side. So yeah, that's that's a bigger example, I think, than than Jeff. There's and and we've talked about Jeff. He needs to be behind the scenes and potentially take a heavy hand in talent relations rather than at this point in his life or anybody else's being out there, you know, working in the ring in this they've they got bigger issues. They need a fucking heart surgeon before they get the goddamn painter in. Well, to the core of this question, the big issue is, and they have a few in a few cases, but they need really good homegrown talent that they don't fuck up so that you don't have to rely on WWE people. Yes. But, and you can, and once again, they had really good homegrown talent. They fucked a lot of it up, but you still always need a mix because homegrown talent 
is going to all be in their early mid twenties at this point on that show. And they need some experience to settle things down and smooth things out. And they need to have guys that will listen to that experience. And, you know, so you need a mix, but you've got to, but there, there's no plan with putting this roster together to begin with. And there never has been, it's been who was friends with who, and who was an indie darling that people were tweeting about at the time. And that usually lasts about fucking six weeks to three months, and he signed people up for three years. So they're long past their Twitter expiration date, and people have moved on to the next fucking guy willing to make an ass out of himself in some fashion. You know, old Jelly Nutella was a big deal on the on the Twitter for a few months. But then they they sign a, a somebody that's a joke that the people have just made something because they were tickled by something stupid he did, and it could be Jeller, it could be any number of of people that fit that description. Dan Allen, whatever. Tony signs them for years. They've only got pockets. They got one fucking joke to tell. And then they're still telling it two years later, and he and he's still paying these people, and they've contributed nothing. And he's wondering why. It's because you don't just go after every ex-star or every Twitter phenomenon or every darling indie person of the moment, because chances are most of them are not going to have legs. You have a fucking plan of your main top talent some good names underneath and a bunch of guys that can get those people over. And that's where you start. He never had any of that. Well, another thing he may or may not have is good legal advice, but you may know someone he could talk to. Well, boy, I'll tell you what, and ladies and gentlemen, if you, for some reason or another, have not been contacted by Tony Khan about being hired to be a wrestler for his company, because almost everybody else in the world has been contacted for that, if you feel left out, even though you have no credentials whatsoever to be a wrestler, and you want to sue Tony Khan, you can call this man. Call Stephen No, Brian, I was just kidding. You know, just joshing there because everybody knows that Stephen P. New only takes cases of people that have a case, people that deserve it, people that are in the right. Because Stephen P. New is a man who fights for justice and truth in the American way. And if you're not qualified to be a wrestler, he's not going to allow you to be a wrestler. However, if you are qualified, if you are qualified to fit the parameters of someone who has been wrongfully terminated, someone who has been harmed by a greedy major corporation, your health has been harmed or your your property has been infringed on or someone's negligence or simple assholery has led to you being inconvenienced in some way, Stephen P. New is a man that can fight for your rights and 
You know, we, I, I mentioned it last week. He'll fight for you in more than one way. Now, he'll go in the courtroom and he'll lay those law books down and he'll fucking put the legal smackdown on people inside the courtroom. But if you if you lip off at Stephen P. New, uh, a lot of people around West Virginia know he's been known to call you over into conference sidebar over in the chambers where nobody can see, and he'll snatch you up by the tie. No, he won't. And he'll cuff you around, and he'll say, you know, it's a pretty decent little pharmaceutical company you got going on here. It'd be a shame if anything happened to it. What is this accent? Maybe you shouldn't be getting all these babies addicted to opioids. That's not what Steven sounds like in any way. Well, I'm just telling you, you know, there's been surveillance video. And, uh, you know, it showed that Stephen P. New was not going to take it from one of these major corporations. And another thing, he cuffed old Governor Justice about the head and face here a few months ago when he had that emergency, state of emergency declared over in West Virginia over the mistreatment of the inmates and the prisoners at those overcrowded and underfunded and understaffed jails in West Virginia. He's fighting for everybody. Stephen P. New is a man like Jesus Christ himself. He fought for all the people in the right, even the least of us. The poor old inmates that have done nothing wrong except committing crimes. And now they're placed in a situation where they're being mistreated. If he'll fight for the least of us, he'll fight for you too. Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com. 888-692-8084. Let's say, for example, it's one of these big chemical companies. They poison the groundwater. All Stephen P. New has to do is go out there with the, the head of that chemical company, take him in that panel van with the blacked out windows that Stephen drives around Beckley, and he's going to snatch him up by the tie. He doesn't drive a paneled van with and he's, darkened windows well, that's, around that's, Beckley, that's, that's, for the that's record. Where, that's where little eavesdroppers and little stooges and little tattletales can't see what goes on behind the scenes. And Stephen's going to take the chairman of that, that big chemical company. He's going to say, you got a nice chemical company there. It'd be a shame if anything happened to it. But it wouldn't be a <laughs> shame if anything happened to it. Well, it'd be a shame if anything happened to the money that Stephen P. New's clients are going to get from that chemical company, and that's why Stephen P. New produces. If, if, if he can't get your ass paid, your ass does not accept cash. Again, folks, I encourage you, when you navigate the shark-infested legal waters of the American jurisprudence system, to have an experienced, capable veteran by your side. He not only calls it in the ring, he calls it in the courtroom. And you ought to see his high spots. Stephen P. New, new law, newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. That's right, Jim. Let's get a question or two before we wrap things up. This one was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Andrew in Melbourne, Australia. Good day, mate. I had a question in relation to when Mark Merrill was signed to WWE in 1996. <laughs> Apparently, Vince McMahon loved the Johnny B. Bad character from WCW, mm-hmm. which is why Merrill got a big guaranteed deal despite the likes of Steve Austin and Mick Foley, who signed around the same time getting standard contracts. My question is, who would have shown Vince McMahon any footage of Johnny B. Bad, given you have said numerous times 
he only watches and will ever only watch his own programming. And did you ever find out why Vince McMahon was such a big fan of Johnny B. Bed? Well, I mean, look at the gimmick. That was probably the one thing in WCW during that time period that was more WWF-like than anything else. A little Richard impersonator. So it's not hard to see that Vince would like the gimmick. And here was the thing. I don't know who first brought Mark Merrow to Vince's attention. I don't want to point any fingers. When you point a finger, you got three more pointing back at you. But Bruce Pritchard was so happy to have Mark come into the fold. <laughs> and here's the thing. Mark Merrow was not a bad person. And I'm not trying to just say, oh, Mark Merrow should be boiled in oil and have his fat sold for soap or anything like that. But that was when I first got there. I'd only been on the creative team a couple months. I remember this specifically. Because, again, with the first time I heard from Bruce that, oh, we're talking to Mark Merrow. And that's I had to ask who because I didn't know that was Johnny B. Bad's real name then. I'd never met the guy, right? I said, serious? I said, well, wait a minute. I said, can he be Johnny B. Bad? Because, you know, at that point, I figured WCW has contracts like we do up here. Oh, no, he can't be Johnny. Then what do you what do you want him? What's he going to do? Well, it'll be Mark Merrow. Woke up. What? Johnny, Mark Merrow had never wrestled anywhere before. He trained, uh, uh, to my assumption and understanding, pretty much at the power plant, and he was Johnny B. Bad from the start, and they he trained to be Johnny B. Bad. He was Johnny B. Bad. He'd never been anybody else, and he'd never been in a main event position down there. It was an eight-minute Johnny B. Bad match and out. That was what he had been taught to do, Mark Merrow. And so I said, well, what's his gimmick going to Well, we'll work that out. And he's also, he's brought his wife with him. She's beautiful. What? And then that's when I found out about before she was Sable. I don't know where Sable came from, but her name's Rena. She was Mark Merrow's wife. And she came to the meeting, the contract meeting with Mark Merrow to meet Vince. Hey, can I stop you for a second there? Yes. I've heard Shane Douglas talk about when he signed to be Dean Douglas, Vince was kind of insistent on bring your wife. Was that a big Vince thing, kind of get a relationship with the wife? I I don't know. I I didn't know that he asked Shane Douglas to bring his wife. I always was under the assumption that fucking Rena came with Mark, whether anybody liked it or not, because she wanted to be on television. Because why else would she come and be all dressed up and have this meeting and suddenly she's his valet when she has never appeared in a professional wrestling industry before, ever. And the people in WCW must have known something. But point being, sometimes Vince wanted to, you know, to meet the family and he wanted to talk to people and get ideas about, that's where he would come up with these bad gimmick ideas because he would find out some tidbit of something that somebody did as a hobby or in their private life or in their background. And he'd fixate on that. And then you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get anything else past him. He'd be fixated on that. That's why Bill Irwin became a goon because he once played some kind of junior hockey in Minnesota. So I don't, I don't, I, I don't know about Shane's wife. 
At least she didn't get a valet job, but Rena did. And then as soon as Bruce told, oh, we're going to use her, I said, what? he's a baby face, right? But yeah. Okay. Why has he got a girl? Why has he got a girl that looks like that? He's going to get all kinds of heat. So I put, I said, where is your, what is going on here? There's your, specifically because apparently Vince McMahon wants to make this woman a valet. You're going to use her with him. And he's signing him for guaranteed money because he loves the gimmick that he's done all of his career that he won't be able to do here. So I felt like Chris Hansen on fucking To Catch a Predator. What is your plan here? What was your plan here? And they didn't have one. And then come to find out, there was no, Mark Merrill couldn't be Mark Merrill as a wrestler because he had no idea who the fuck that was because he'd never tried, never thought about it. And then when they did think about it, well, he used to be an amateur boxer. Well, let's give him a boxing gimmick. Well, that that was a fart in church. Yeah, the wild man was better. Well, than then the let's make him gimmick. the wild man with <laughs> fucking Sable, the the jungle cat. Well, then all they're they're looking at fucking Sable because Mark Merrow was as boring as watching a goddamn milk curdle. And then they switched him heel, and then he's going to browbeat Sable, and they're going to try to do Savage and Elizabeth. But guess what? He wasn't Randy Savage either. And then the brawl for all, and it is so. And then it ended up Sable power bombed Merrill on television. And then Austin called Vince the next day and said, who, who am I going to be working with in the main event of the Los Angeles Forum show next weekend now? Instead of Mark Merrow, who just got power bombed on TV by a 125-pound woman. And then I think he got hurt and he ended up carrying Sable's bags in for a while. And that was the last we saw of him. But it, it, there was there was no plan, and there was there was no there there. He's a nice enough fellow, but he just didn't know how to do anything other than be Johnny B. Bad, and they, you know, gave him a guaranteed contract that all these other top guys didn't have at that time, and got heat on him. He had his, you know, wife accompany him to the ring to take all the attention away from him. He's a boring guy because he's a he's a very nice, religious, upright, upstanding guy in real life. So he's as boring in real life as he was on TV. And there you go. Well, there you go. And with that, the drive-thru is closed. We'll have songs return next week when it'll be a regular drive-thru. And of course, we'll be back this weekend, the Jim Cornette Experience. We could have crawled through this motherfucker and got back quicker than a, than a drive-thru. We're going to have the review to the pay-per-view on the experience, right? Apparently we will. Somehow and in some form this weekend, we will talk to you about whatever they do on the AEW pay-per-view. And hopefully, by the time we speak to you again, MJF will be the new AEW world champion. That's right. Of course, follow us on Twitter. Follow us wherever you follow us. Go to Cornette's Collectibles at JimCornette.com. Do whatever you do there. Do whatever you do there and spend all that money that you spend there. The Law Office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. Don't make him take you over at a sidebar. He won't be doing that. Will you stop it? He's a very, very, very nice guy. I have to convince myself. A very, very nice guy who will help you. And we'll have more information about everything else this weekend on The Experience. But for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. 
Yes, it's Jim Corner's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting at Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. the mighty cult of cornets, and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, dick spots, or dance routines, with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion, she's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you. Steven, Pedro, everybody. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.